Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas. With myself, thank you to you. And now part of the Beeson family and podcast. Got tremendous podcast for you. Sean Paul of the Making the Madness podcast along with the field of 68 is going to be joining me. We're going to be talking about some of these mid-major college basketball tournaments that are going down today. We're also going to be chatting with him about what we've got with regards to some of the Big Ten action. What we wound up seeing this weekend as well. So we've got a lot of good stuff going on with him. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys fix and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday as we had some bank shots. First things first, always do love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. And we've got one or two ways we offer those in. First one is by Twitter timeline at your 41 Keep in mind, let us see them. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline. And the other way is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Really didn't get in a lot of questions today, but... We wound up having a rambunctious Saturday of college basketball. Let's dive into it, fi- try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. It's not often that I lead this off with the Southland, but this one warranted it. We wound up seeing a four-overtime game in which a team all by themselves wound up going over a north of 140 total. Houston Baptist in four overtime knocks off McNeese State by a count of 149 to 144. The only reason why this wound up going to a fourth overtime is because McNeese State hit a three that looked like it was going to put this game on ice, but then some idiot winds up running onto the court. McNeese State gets a technical foul. That leads to free throws for Houston Baptist. They wind up tying it up from there, and then in the fourth overtime, Houston Baptist is able to get the job done. I've never seen anything quite like it. I mean, this was a game that literally had it all. McNeese State probably should have won under regulation, probably should have won it in one or two of those overtimes as well. So, I mean, this was just a complete and utter calamity as you wind up having McNeese State shoot 55% from the floor. Houston Baptist goes 50 of 65 at the free throw line. You wind up having three Houston Baptist players wind up falling out of this game. Meanwhile, for McNeese State, they had five different guys fall out of this game. I mean, it was absolutely wild. So, I mean, we wound up leading off with that for obvious reasons, but 
taking a look a little bit more at top 25 action. Villanova, they look very solid. They get the job done against Butler by kind of 78 to 59. It's just been a rough year for Butler as they wound up getting bludgeoned on the glass, losing that battle by kind 38 to 27. Butler just 525 from three point range. Villanova, they were firing all cylinders. 11 of 24 from three point range. You wind up having in this game a double figure amount of points out of Colin Gillespie, Justin Moore, and Jermaine Samuels. You also have had a gentleman by the name of Jordan Longino be able to come on for the team. He wound up having 10 points and 7 boards off the bench, so that was relatively solid. We're going to talk a lot more about the SEC games that we wound up seeing on Saturday with our good friend Sean Paul making the madness, but the Tennessee versus Arkansas game had a brutal amount of stops. Arkansas is able to cover. Tennessee gets the outright win 78-74 to in this one. Tennessee won 12 of 18 from three-point range, so they were white out. Kennedy Chandler, Santiago Vescovi, they combined for 30 points. They combined to be able to go 8 of 10 from three-point range, which really helped the team be able to get to victory for Arkansas. They did a relatively sad job on the glass, winning that battle by a count of 37-33. And J.D. Note was able to put up 20 points. He's had double figures in every t- one of the team's games thus far this season. But for Tennessee, they also wind up losing the turnover battle by a count of 17-15 as well. So that was intriguing. LSU in overtime. They get the job done, but no cover against Alabama by a count of 80-77 for Alabama. 11-40 of 40 from three-point range, but 20-22 of 22 at the free line. And for Alabama, they wind up losing the turnover battle by kind of 21 to 13. Just a little bit of lack of discipline. Meanwhile, for LSU, offense can be a little bit rough for the team. They shoot 46% from the floor. And for Alabama, they did wind up having Keon Ellis keep the team alive. He did have six turnovers, but 19 points, nine boards out of him out there in the SEC as well. Auburn, another win, but non-cover against South Carolina. 82 to 71 was the final of South Carolina. Goes just 8 of 25 for three-point range. Auburn does go 10 of 23. And for the Sovereign team, they continue to do a solid job down low. Walker Kessler, two blocks in this game. That's half of his season average right there. So, I mean, that tells you just how good he's been all season long. But for South Carolina, they were able to do a relatively solid job of being able to play relatively even up on the glass. They actually won the rebound battle by a count of 40 to 39. If you're looking at best cover teams in college basketball, Middle Tennessee, they are number one. And Middle Tennessee, they have now had back-to-back non-covers. Middle Tennessee now 21-7-1 against the spread. They wind up losing to Old Dominion as Old Dominion was able to close things out late with Josh Jefferson, the top scorer of Middle Tennessee, being out of the fold 68-64 was the final as you did wind up having for this Middle Tennessee bunch of native 21 three-point shooting performance. But for Old Dominion, they did wind up doing a solid job in the glass winning that battle by a count of 36-25. Going to be interesting to see if Jefferson is able to return for the NCAA tournament because you could tell that the team wasn't necessarily the same without him and wound up losing the turnover battle 16-14 to as well. If you're taking a look at another team that has been very good against the spread, that would be Jacksonville. Jacksonville has advanced to the Atlantic Sun Final where they're going to meet Bellarmine, and that means that Jacksonville has been able to get the NCAA tournament big because Bellarmine was transitioning from the D2 level to the D1 level, so that means that they are going to be unable to get the auto bid to the NCAA tournament for Jacksonville. Being able to get the win over Jacksonville State 54-51, to it was all on the heels of their defense. Jacksonville State team that shooting about 40% from three-point range, more like 39%. They went 6 of 27 from distance, so Jacksonville did a terrific job there. They're a top 75 team with the guys points a lot on a per possession basis, by the way, and could be on Nolan. 19 points, so they were able to get the job done in that one. You've also been noticing that DePaul has been a, a very good cover team. They're now 20 and 10 against the spread. They wind up losing but covering against UConn 
by count of 75 to 68. In this one for UConn, you were able to get some really good performance out of Adama Sonogo. He made the team a go-go. 10 of 16 from the floor. 26 points, 11 board. Tyrese Martin, he was able to give the team 19 points, 16 rebounds as well as UConn. Wins the rebound battle by kind of 49 to 31, but what kept Paul alive and kicking in this one, Javon Freeman, Liberty, 22 points, goes 3 of 5 from 3-point range for DePaul, by the way, 6 of 14 at the free throw line, rather unacceptable, but UConn did wind up be having a tough time being able to turn over to Paul. Just four turnovers for the Blue Demons. Georgetown, they wind up clinching themselves a winless regular season out there in the Big East as they wind up falling in this one by kind of 97-75 to against the Xavier team that they've been having their own struggles for Xavier. 14-25 from three-point range with Nate Johnson. 7-11 from three. If you need an ultimate get-right spot, it is facing off against Georgetown out there in the Big East and Adam Kunkel. Oh, Uncle, was he good. 12 points, 8 assists, 3-5 from three-point range is what he wound up shooting out there in the Big East. Marquette was also able to get it done for a win and cover against St. John's. 85-77 to was the final. Barely wanted saying under 162.5 with regards to the total at St. John's. They wound up going just 5-19 from three-point range. Shot 41% overall from the floor. What wound up keeping them alive in this one is the fact that Marquette went just 7-22 from three-point range. But Daryl Marcel, 20 points. He was solid just in the list, 28.7 boards. And a Marquette team that overall the season has a negative rebound rate. They win the rebound battle by a count of 42-40. to 40, So they were able to do a relatively solid job there. The first auto bid of the college basketball season has been handed out. That is going to go to Murray State. More at State, you certainly hope that they're going to be able to partake in some sort of a postseason tournament because they played very good basketball. 71-67, to Murray State was able to get the job done. Tevin Brown was able to lead the way. He had 23 points, and Justice Hill was able to chip in their 21. Murray State, 10 of 22 from three-point range. They wound up winning the rebound battle 47-31, to and for more at State, they do unfortunately have nobody but themselves to blame. 8 of 18 at the free throw line. G&I Broom was cleaning up 32 points, 8 boards, but that wound up being very costly for the team as you wound up having Trey Hallowell off the bench go 4 of 7 three-point range, so they were able to do a relatively solid job. Lots of underdogs were cashing on this college basketball Saturday. You had Iowa State go on the road, and they held in there against Baylor by a count of 75 to 68. It looked like things were going to get away from Iowa State very early in this game. They got down by a count of 36 to 12, and it was just looking really, really bad from there. But Iowa State able to claw their way back from a 24-point deficit. I believe at one point they wound up having a 64-62 lead with a couple minutes remaining for Iowa State after they wound up having a really bad offensive performance against Oklahoma State, failing to be able to get to 40. They did a solid job here, being able to turn the ball over just 10 times. They did wind up losing the rebound battle by kind of 37-27, but for Baylor, just 8 of 25 for three-point range. Baylor was able to get by with James Akinjo, giving the team 20 points, 6 assists, 3 turnovers. He's been playing some good basketball recently. Kendall Brown, 16 points, 7 boards, but for Iowa State, they look like an NCAA tournament team. Gabe Kelscher, 18 points in this one. Tyrese Hunter, 13 assists, one of the more underrated freshmen in all of college basketball. We would be remiss if we don't mention the final game of Coach K out there at Duke at home. And, well, North Carolina spoiled the party. 94-81, to the final. Armando Baycoat was able to be one of four Tar Heels that wound up scoring at least 20 points in this one. He wound up having 23 points and 10 of 11 shooting. Brady Manick. 
goes 5 of 10 from 3 point range. You wind up having RJ Davis, Caleb Bluff combined for 43 points, 10 boards, and 9 assists out there in the backcourt. Meanwhile, for Duke, you have Paolo Boncaro give the team 23 points, but he did so on 26 shots. Mark Williams, 13 rebounds down low, but for Duke, they allowed North Carolina to go 9 of 23 from 3 point range. For North Carolina, just five turnovers in this contest as well. Duke, they're relatively efficient as well with just nine, but certainly North Carolina was able to do a good job of being able to take care of the ball. You did have Jeremy Roach coming off the bench for 15 points for this Duke punch, but certainly not what you were hoping for in Coach K's final home game, and it's been a Duke team has been a little bit inconsistent in general, so that is something that is intriguing to take a look at. Something else that's intriguing to take a look at, how about the USC versus UCLA game? 75-68. to UCLA is able to get the job done, but they are unable to cover eight. For UCLA, you want having Johnny Jose be a little bit of a game-time decision, and I always mention this when it comes to player injuries. Don't just gauge whether or not a player is able to go, but gauge how close to 100% they are. You tell that he was not 100% in this game. You wound up having just 8 points. The guy that was really able to go into takeover mode, that would actually be Jaime Huckes. He wound up having 27 points, 6 boards, 4 assists. Looked relatively solid, but for USC, they're able to hang in this game because... They do go 8 of 19 from 3-point range. Wound up having Isaiah Mobley, who did not wind up playing the first time around when USC was able to get the win. Have 20 points, 8 boards. He was able to keep the team very live in this one, but for USC, they wound up losing the turnover battle. 15-1. to 1. This is a UCLA team that has been one of the best under control in all of college basketball, and they did a solid job here. If you wind up taking 6.5 with Texas Tech, this was absolutely brutal. 70-63. to 63. Kansas gets the job done in overtime, and they're able to cover 6.5. Wind up having a lot of late-game felling. Wind up getting Kansas to the window. David McCormick winds up going 10 of 10 at the free line. Kansas is a little 28 of 36 at the charity stripe. Kansas wins the rebound battle by kind of 49 to 42, but for Texas, what kept them live in this game was the fact that they were able to have Courtney Ramey go off 3 of 5, 3-point shooting, 18.7 boards, so he did a very solid job for this team, and Texas as a whole, 8 of 22 for 3-point, shot only 34% from the floor, but Kansas, they wound up going 18 of 58 from the floor, so on their 2-point shots, Kansas wound up going 11 of 41, so the Texas defense was able to take hold, even though the game wound up going to overtime. It was a game that wound up staying under the total. Kentucky, they wind up taking down a Florida team that is just not been good in these circumstances. They wind up playing those to a ranked team. They're either a slight favorite or a slight underdog. They once again don't get the job done. 71 to 63, the final Oscar Sheboy, 27 points. 15 boards. Kentucky only winds up going 4 of 14 from 3-point range, but Xavier Wheeler, despite the fact that he didn't look like himself, he was still able to give the team 13 points. Did wind up having 4 assists and 3 turnovers, so that was a little bit concerning. Ty Ty Washington certainly didn't look like he was 100% either at 6 points in this one, but for Florida, 3 of 20 from 3-point range. Colin Castleton was the only thing keeping this team live. 23 points, 11 boards, everyone out there in the backcourt just could not fire it in from 3-point range, and for Florida, they could only force Kentucky into 9 turnovers. Texas Tech Takes a relatively tough loss. They wind up losing to Oklahoma State by a count of 52 to 51 for Texas Tech. They do go 7 to 21 from three par range. Meanwhile, for Oklahoma State, 5 of 23 from distance, but Oklahoma State won the battle on the glass. 41 to 37. Oklahoma State unable to go to the NCAA tournament. So these games mean all the more to them. Musa Cisse, five blocks, ten boards, just four points, but made his impact down low. And for Texas Tech, a bunch that wound up having 15 turnovers in this contest was unable to overcome them. 
Purdue was able to get a win, but they didn't necessarily look too convincing in it. They wind up taking down Indiana by kind of 69 to 67 for Purdue. They were having themselves a nice lead early in this game, and then it got to a situation which it looked like they could potentially lose the game. Purdue winds up getting up 33 to 20 early on, and then Indiana actually held the lead with about six minutes remaining. Eric Connor was able to do a good job of being able to bail out Purdue in this game. He wound up having 17 points, five assists, five boards. He was able to do a solid job there. Zach Eady was able to give you 11 boards for this team as well, and for Purdue. They go 9-24 from three-point range. Defense has really been killing this team. Indiana, they do wind up going 10-10 at the free throw line, despite going just 5-20 from three-point range. Stayed alive in this game because Ray Thompson was able to give the team 10 boards down low, and Xavier Johnson, guy that has been not necessarily doing a great job of being able to dish out the ball. 18 points, 12 assists, did two turnovers. Only Purdue could help make him look that good in that spot. You did wind up having Arizona look very, very good. Cal, ever since they wound up losing Andre 3000 Kelly, has been absolutely terrible. 89-61, to the final in this one for Arizona. They wind up shooting 62.5% from the floor. Cal got their style. Cal plays very, very slow. Arizona just wound up beating them at it. Just eight turnovers in this game. You wind up having Umar Balo coming off the bench. 16 points, five boards. You really didn't have the starters do a whole lot for this Arizona team. Kurt Carissa was someone that wound up coming in off the bench in this one. It's Justin Kyer got the start. 13 points. He did not wind up having a single turnover in this game. And for Cal, they go. There's 3 of 15 from 3-point range. They did have Jordan Shepard give the team 16 points, but needed 14 shots in order to get there. So that was a little bit brutal out there. You did wind up seeing some interesting ACC action as well. Like 15 million billion made threes in a row. Wound up pushing Virginia versus Louisville over Virginia. Gets the job done 71 to 61. A team that still live for an NCAA tournament berth. They were able to get 15 points, 12 boards, 5 assists, and 5 seals out of Reese Beekman. And it's a Virginia team that all of a sudden you got to give them a little bit of credit. This is a team that down the stretch, they've been able to play some halfway decent basketballs. Now they have been able to win a few games been able to string a few together. They wound up having back-to-back losses to Florida State and Duke. Both of those games were relatively tight. They go on the road. They knock off Miami. So, all of a sudden, they would be able to give themselves a little bit of life. Speaking of having a little bit of life, that would be Miami. They could not afford a loss against Syracuse. Syracuse wound up getting up big in this game. They wound up being up in the early part of the second half by 16 points. And for Syracuse, they wound up being up 70-62 to with 2.18 remaining. They made like your buddy at the bar and they could not close. They wind up getting outscored by kind of 13 to 2, the final two minutes of the contest. Buddy Bayheim did his part for the Syracuse team. He was able to contribute 30 points in for Syracuse, by the way. One bench point in this game as Miami, they were able to get significantly more than that at two bench points. But with that said, Justin Miller, 25 points, 13 rebounds. You did wind up having eight assists out of Charlie Moore in this game as well as Syracuse winds up losing the turnover battle by a count of 11 to 10. Actually won the rebound battle Syracuse did by a count of 36 to 34 but for Miami, they wind up overcoming the fact that they went 3 of 18 from 3 point range by being able to drive the ball inside against the Syracuse 2-3 zone. They made 26 out of their 38 2 point shots to be able to get it done so a very gritty win for Miami. You did wind up also having Notre Dame look very impressive against Pittsburgh 78 to 54. They're able to get a winning cover out there. Florida State, one of your worst cover teams at all of college basketball. They take down NC State by a count of 89 to 76. That drops NC State to having the second worst ATS record in all of college basketball. 7 and 24 against the spread. Next worst, by the way, that'd be Cal State Bakersfield. 
They are now 5-16 and 16 against the spread after they wound up getting pasted on Saturday. They wind up losing to the Anteaters of E.C. Irvine. Zot, zot for the Anteaters by kind of 66-61 Bakersfield. They close as a 5-point underdog, so this is technically a push for them and for Irvine. It's a team that has been the best under team in all of college basketball. This total barely winds up going over, so it does wind up hurting. They're a little bit of an understreak there, but for Irvine, you still take a look at it. And this is a team that, out of their games, they have played six overs, 15 unders, and two pushes. The only team that has a higher rate to the under, ISMP, Georgia State, and Eastern Illinois. And speaking of Georgia State, they were able to survive in advance out there in the Sun Belt Tournament. They take down Arkansas State in a game that was not very high scoring, 65-62. to The final this is just not your traditional Georgia State team, a team that typically goes bombs away from three-point range. They were under able to do that in this game as they wind up going 4 of 21 from distance. Norshad Omir was able to give the team 21.17 boards for Arkansas State to be able to keep them live in this game. So that was another intriguing result. Bowling Green is right now your top over team in all of college basketball. The team that has been really doing the number two job with regards to overrate in all of college basketball, that'd be Princeton. UMass has been able to play a couple more overs as well, but Princeton, 17 overs to 8 unders. They wound up playing a very rambunctious game on Saturday as they wind up being able to get the job done against Penn. 93-70 to 70 for Princeton. They go 12-26 from three-point range. They rank at the top 20 with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis. Jordan Dingle, 31 points for Penn, winds up going by the wayside because Princeton, despite going 7-14 at the free line, which they're an efficient offense that doesn't shoot their free throws well, they did a very solid job of being able to have Tucson of Woman. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. Give them 23 points, 8 boards, 7 assists. Six foot eight combo player has been absolutely magnificent for the team. What else has been magnificent is betting on oververse in Nebraska Omaha games. That is done as they wound up playing in the Summit League tournament against South Dakota State. They wound up playing another over 87 to 79, the final on a total of 160. South Dakota State unable to cover the 23, though. Omaha actually wound up having a lead towards the very back half of the first half and frankly Fiddler Jr. was able to close things out with 34 points. Meanwhile for South Dakota State, 8 of 17 from 3 point range. They shoot as a collective about 44.5% from 3. Nobody else shoots north of 40% from 3 point range. So that has been intriguing to take a look at. Texas A&M has actually been one of your better over teams in college basketball as well. 20 overs to 10 unders for them and on Saturday they wound up being able to get the job done against Mississippi State by kind of 67 to 64. Hurt that overrate because this is one that wound up going under the total line for Mississippi State. Two-point underdogs unable to get there. Mississippi State has been unable to close all season long and in this case it's very nearly Texas A&M that was unable to close. They wound up having a 16-point lead with 751. Furious run by Mississippi State but they have no free three-point shooting right now. They went just one of four from distance. And for Texas A&M, a team that's trying to claw their way into the NCAA tournament, Quinn Jackson helped out with that. 18 points, four steals for Texas A&M. They forced Mississippi State into 15 turnovers. And now Mississippi State is having a tough time being able to get into the NCAA tournament. Northern Colorado has also been a very rambunctious team to the over. On Saturday, they wound up playing a high-scoring game against Montana State. Montana State gets the job done 87-85 to as you wound up having Northern Colorado shoot 54.5% from the floor and Montana State. They wind up going 50% from the field as they were able to do a really solid job of being able to get some unexpected production. Nick Gonzalez along great Osbar. pair of guys that average right around 5 points per contest. They both had 19 points apiece. So it's Montana State team that is really showing their depth. 
when it comes to other teams that have been good to the under, North Texas is certainly one of them. They just uncharacteristically did not have their defense against UTEP. They wound up being on the wrong side of a 17-2 run at the beginning of the day. And for UTEP, a team that has been relatively intermiss with regards to against the spread record. They get the job done outright, 70-68, the final for UTEP. They wind up going 5-11 from three-point range. They shoot 21-25 at the charity stripe. And for North Texas, 17-32 of 32 at the free throw line. They are not necessarily a great team with regards to free throw shooting, and that showed through there. Creighton is a team that is going to be interesting to take a look at in conference tournament play because they are without their point guard, Ryan Nemard. have already been one of the better teams in the under with 10 overs, 19 unders, and a push thus far this season. And it was Seton Hall, who was the DK Nation pick, being able to get the job done out there by kind of 65-60 to 60 for Seton Hall. They did a very solid job of being able to have some balanced scoring. You did wind up having off the bench Alexis Yetna go out for 11 points, 11 boards. Terry Samuel, 13 points. And Jared Ronan was able to lead the way with 19 points. Now, Seton Hall only went 4 of 7 at the free throw line and hit a few free throws late for Creighton. They go 8 of 24 from 3-point range. You can tell that they were a little bit disjointed with their offense. 14 turnovers for them. Meanwhile, just 8 for Seton Hall. So, Seton Hall was able to get the job done out there. Hawaii has also been, surprisingly, a really good under team. 7 overs, 16 unders, and a push out there in Big West play. They were able to get an over against CSUN, though, as they just wound up completely bludgeoning one of the worst teams out there in all of college basketball. CSUN winds up taking a bad loss by kind of 84 to 62 in this one. Hawaii the team has been a little bit short-handed with Noah Coleman dealing with an injury. They wound up going just 7-23 from three-point range, but went 27-36 at the free throw line to be able to get that one to the window. Arizona State has also been a good team to the under. Just nine out of the 30 games have wound up going over the total, and they wound up playing another low-scoring game on Saturday as they wind up pulling it out against Stanford. 65-56, to barely able to cover the six-point spread as it was a case in which Stanford was up in this game throughout much of the first half. It was a little bit touch and go in the second half as side 52 to 52 with 535 remaining. And then Sanford, well, they did what Sanford always does. Turns the ball over. 21 turnovers to 19 made buckets in this one. Arizona State, a top 75 team with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. Went just 2 of 17 from 3 point range, but 18 points out of Marion Jackson was able to help them be able to get the job done in the spot when it comes to what we're going to be seeing out there in the Sun Belt in general. I did mention the Georgia State win. Wound up seeing a nice upset with Louisiana being able to take down Texas State. 79 to 72, the final for Louisiana. They go 6 of 14 from 3 point range and their duo of Theo Kuba, a couple of Georgia. Jordan Brown, a combined 19 boards, and for Jordan Brown, he's just flat out the best player out there on the floor. 31 points, top seed out there in the Sun Belt goes down with Texas State. Shooting in this game 7-20 from three-point range, but just could not put the climbs down on defense. Troy is going to be advancing to face off against Louisiana, 69-62. They take down a Little Rock team that they were game in this one as well, 6-15 from three-point range for Troy. They went 10-22 from three, despite not necessarily being a great three-point shooting team. They did commit 15 turnovers for Troy. Top 75 team with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. They get it done at Appalachian State. They get a over and a win, 73-60. They've been one of your top teams with regards to fewest possessions per game as well. The Missouri Valley Conference Final is going to be involving Loyola, Chicago, and Rake. We just want to sit time and time again with regards to the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament. Unders hit like wildfire. I don't know what it is about the arena, but it leads itself to a whole bunch of unders. In the first game, Loyal Chicago held Northern Iowa to just 43 points. Northern Iowa could not hit water if they fell out of a boat. 4 of 24 from 3. 
23% from the floor. Meanwhile, Loyola, they wound up having Braden Norris go off for 19 points. He did turn the ball over six times, but did wind up going for six from three-point range as well, so that was able to get it done there. And then Missouri State and Drake required overtime. Drake got it done by being able to have some relatively solid shooting of their own from Tucker DeVries. DeVries, 23 points, three assists. He winds up going six of 16 from the floor, but eight of eight at the charity strike. Drake, 17 of 19 at the free throw line. And for Missouri State, you did have Gage Prim give you 21 points, Isaiah Mosley 27, but the ancillary pieces, the guys off the bench, a combined four. So that was not able to help them out out there in the SoCon tournament. You very nearly saw Sam Iamford blow a 22-point halftime lead, but they were able to get the job done as a little bit of a money line underdog. They wind up taking down Greensboro by kind of 66 and 64. Samford wound up having Puzz Glover go off for 19 points in this game to be able to lead the way. They also wound up losing the rebound battle by Icon 32-30, but went 10 of 25 from three-point range, and they're going to be facing off against Furman, who wound up taking down Mercer 80-66, to just absolute domination by Furman, and they've got a guy in Jalen Slauson who's able to go off for a triple-double on any given night. He wound up having 15 points, four boards in this one. Furman, 9-22 from three-point range, and it's going to be Wofford and Chattanooga, who is going to be taking part in the other SoCon semifinal. You wound up seeing it out there in the Northeast Conference. You wound up being able to get some good results from the top seeds. Bryant, they don't cover, but they get the win against Mount St. Mary's, 70-69. to The guy that was able to lead Bryant to victory, Charles Pride, 24 points, 10 boards. Peter Kitts, leader scorer in all of college basketball, 16 points. And Bryant has not been a great three-point shooting team all season long, 5-21 from three-point range, but did just enough on the glass to be able to get the job done. 40-24 to against a Mount St. Mary's team that had three different guys averaging at least five rebounds per game coming into the night. And then for Wagner, they were able to get the job done, 82-62 to against Long Island. It's a team that has been dealing with the injury to Elijah Ford, but they were able to go 8-22 of 22 from three-point range. They were a bottom-20 team with regards to three-point shooting percentage and just completely plowed Long Island on the glass. 39-34. to 34. They were able to get the job done there. And for Long Island, 15 of 28 at the free line and 3 of 19 for three-point range. So some very suspect shooting out there. And then the Big South final is one that we're going to be talking about with our good buddy Sean Paul. Winthrop, they survived to be able to advance against Longwood. Longwood gets the job done 79 to 70 against USC Upstate. And for Winthrop, 76 to 67. They wind up taking down a Gardner Webb team that entered into this game in the top 50 with regards to defensive efficiency for Winthrop. They go 7 of 16 from three point range. Corey Hightower, 20 points, five boards to be able to pace Winthrop. And then for Longwood, they were able to have a very solid performance out of Mr. Isaiah Wilkins, who was able to get the team 13.7 boards. You wound up also having Justin L. Deshaun Wade both give you 18 points apiece as Longwood. 10 of 20 from three-point range. You know it's also very efficient. Just taking a look at everything that we're getting in college basketball in general. You take a look at what we've gotten in the last seven days. We no longer have to take a look at home underdogs because, well, we've got a whole bunch of neutral court games moving forward. But when it comes to home underdogs, it's been rough for them all season long. By seven days, was a little bit more forgiving. 41 and 40 against the spread in this time span. 155 overs, 151 unders over the last seven days. Underdogs have been halfway decent, hitting at about 51% clip. If you just take a look at Saturday and Saturday alone, you do wind up having Underdogs go 53, 51, and 1 against the spread. You also wind up seeing home underdogs go 12 and 13 against the spread, but you also wind up seeing the over hit big time. 60 overs, 43 unders. Most of these wind up happening in conference games. And if you're just looking to look at the last three days in general in college basketball, 822 overs, uh, 761 unders. That is a 52% rate. I do think that we're going to see a lot of unders moving forward. And something that you can take the over on, 
being smarter with having Sean Paul being able to join this podcast. He brings it every time he joins me. Does a great job with the field of 68. Coming up next, we're going to be chatting with him about some of these mid-major conference tournaments, what we wound up seeing from Saturday, and a little big template. That's coming up next right here on Coast Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Great pleasure to be joined by our guest as this man does an absolutely terrific job over there with the Field of 68. He's got his own podcast, the Making the Madness Podcast. You're able to catch that where you find this fine podcast. Also does a great job over there writing with the Mount West players. We've got Sean Paul joining me. You're able to follow him on Twitter at Sean Paul CBB. That is Sean, S-E-A-N, no H in there. And Sean, it is always great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Greg. Always enjoy coming on. 
I always do enjoy having you as well. And we're doing this Saturday afternoon, so we have yet to see what wound up happening with the Pac-12 games, what have you. But I mean, early returns from this Saturday card is that it has been absolute mayhem. It has been really, really rambunctious to see what we've gotten. And my biggest takeaway is that the SEC, I would say from one through six, looks like the best conference at all of college basketball. Alabama versus LSU was a great game. Arkansas, Tennessee. Well, the refereeing wasn't great, but the teams themselves, they were pretty rock solid. Auburn was able to get the job done. Not sure how you're feeling about the SEC, but was very impressed by the play that we wanted to see on Saturday out of all those teams. Yeah, I mean, I think it's clearly Kentucky's league. I think they're by far the best team. I'm not sure there's a single team that's going to make it past the Sweet 16 besides Kentucky. I think Tennessee has that kind of potential, but you're not playing home games in the NCAA tournament, and that's where they've been really good this year. They've been questionable on the road and on neutral courts, so I, they're undefeated at home, but I'm not sure how much stock we're putting into that. They need to have some big games from Kennedy Chandler if they're going to go far, and I think we saw some of the limitations of Arkansas today. Their offense can really struggle at times. Yeah, but I do think that it's going to be really interesting to see how this conference winds up doing because I think this year, more than ever, it is really going to be a matchup-by-matchup sort of ordeal because we wound up seeing it on Saturday as well. Wound up seeing a team in Villanova look rather impressive against Butler. Now, granted, it's against Butler, but we see Villanova have their highs and lows this year. They're really a battle-tested team. I'm going to be curious to see how a team like UCLA winds up doing in the NCAA tournament because they've been a little bit banged up, but we saw them with the right matchups being able to make a run in the NCAA tournament last year as well. So when it all comes down to it, I really think that the draw this year is going to be more meaningful than ever before. And that goes without saying, the draw always means a lot in the NCAA tournament. Oh yeah, no question. I mean, you look at Illinois last year, they got dealt a pretty tough hand having to face Loyola Chicago, a team that was top 10, top 15 in every metric imaginable. They had to face them in the round of 32 because they were criminally underseeded. I think we could see something similar with Murray State this year. I feel like they're going to be pretty criminally underseeded, and that could be bad news for a team in in the second round. I mean, you're looking at the one seeds. Maybe it's a Wisconsin if they could get there, maybe run through the Big Ten tournament. Murray State already faced Auburn this year, so I don't know if they would do that matchup again, but I think Murray State could beat Auburn a second time around. Yep, I do think that that would be a really fascinating matchup if we do wind up getting it. And you speak of loyal Chicago. With a win over Northern Iowa on Saturday, I feel like this team should be in the NCAA tournament. I think that they're going to be pesky. We don't know who they're going to be facing in the Missouri Valley Conference Final to this point, but I do like what I'm seeing out of this loyal Chicago team. I think that they're going to match up well no matter who they wind up facing, whether that be Drake or Missouri State. But I do take a look at this loyal Chicago team. I would say it's a team that they wound up underachieving a little bit towards Missouri Valley Conference play. I didn't necessarily like what I saw from them, but just with the way that this offense is structured, the way that they've got so many guys on the floor that are able to shoot threes, I think that that's going to be a matchup that everyone's going to want to avoid in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, Loyola Chicago, their experience, Drew Valentine's doing a good job in year one. They've had some struggles, but they got Marquise Kennedy back. They seem to be getting things going at the right time. They had a convincing win over Bradley. So even if they lose to either Missouri State or Drake, whichever team ends up winning that one, I think they probably should be in the NCAA tournament, even if it's in Dayton. I do agree with you, as we do have Sean Paul of Making the Madness joining me right here on the podcast. Sean, a team that we both have a great affinity for is going to be taking the floor on Sunday. I know that you were all in on Oral Roberts last year. I took Oral Roberts over Iowa State on the round of 64 last year in the NCAA tournament. Summit mm-hmm. League quarterfinals is going to be going down, and we're doing this before South Dakota State while I'm taking on Omaha, but 
South Dakota State winds up losing to Omaha. We really have some issues there. But I do take a look at this conference tournament. going to be a lot of fun because you've got a lot of teams that they play a whole lot of offense. And, well, let's call it what it is. Absolutely no defense whatsoever. But I think if you wind up getting any of your top teams to be able to make it out of this league, whether that be South Dakota State, I'll throw in there North Dakota State, Oral Roberts, mm-hmm. any of these three teams, I think that they could be really dangerous in the NCAA tournament. I would say South Dakota if they – we're able to get back AJ please what I would love to see what that team would have looked like. But yeah, for certainly sure. the top three out there in the summit league, I think if any of them wind up making it, they're gonna be a tough out in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you mentioned Oral Roberts last year. They're a different team a little bit this year. They they played the same, but they don't have Kevin O'Banner and they haven't really had someone that can pick up that, that role that he had last year. They have a few guys kind of in there and they they go a little more with the traditional five man with Elijah Lufile, who was hurt last year, so he wasn't able to play. So he plays a little more of that traditional five. And they have some more reliable guards with Trey Phipps and Isaac McBride coming in as transfers. So I think Oral Roberts, I think we're going to end up seeing South Dakota State Oral Roberts in the title game. And they play two really fun regular season games this year. So I'm all in on a round three. I think South Dakota State is just really good this year. So I think they'll be able to come out of that. But if Oral Roberts makes a tournament again as a 15 or a 16, I wouldn't want to see them in the first round. And to put this into perspective with South Dakota State, they're a team that they rank in the top 10 in all of college basketball with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis. But their three-point shooting absolutely lights the NCAA blaze. Going into Saturday, they were shooting as a collective 44.3% from three-point range. Nobody else in college basketball shooting about 39.9%. I mean, it's not just that they're a better three-point shooting team than everyone else. They're a significantly better mm-hmm. three-point shooting team than everyone else at all of college basketball. So I do think that that's going to be a lot of fun. We've got a couple to-be-determined matchups that are going to be going down as well. We're going to have the Big South final. We certainly know that we're going to be having Longwood out there. I think it's going to be really intriguing to see what we get get there. It looks like it's probably going to be Winthrop that they're going to be taking on, but yep. that is still pending as we wind up doing this. And as a matter of fact, it is going to be Longwood versus Winthrop. And this is another battle that I think is going to be really intriguing because with this Longwood team, I do feel like they're the best team out there in the Big South. Big reason why you bring in a guy from the ACC and Isaiah Wilkins comes in six foot four, shoots 40% from three, has been relatively solid. And this is not your father's Winthrop team because Pat Kelsey, well, you know, coaches at the College of Charleston, a team that we're also going to be seeing on Sunday. But I take a look at this Big South final, and I'm really intrigued to see what we wind up getting out of these two teams because Longwood seems like the most well-rounded of these teams. But DJ Burns, if he's able to have himself a big game, I'm really intrigued by him because for some reason he only plays like 22 minutes a game, but he gives you like 15 points in those 22 minutes. Longwood's going to have some real problems defending DJ Burns. I can already see it now. They allow opponents to shoot 53% from two-point range. Their tallest player that they play down low is Zach Watson. He's 6'7". DJ Burns is just impossible to stop for most players, especially for six foot seven guys. So they're probably going to have to double-team him and hope that works, but that could also leave shooters. They have a lot of reliable shooters. You look at Patrick Good, who was really solid for East Tennessee State for a number of years. Russ Jones, who can hit some shots. So they have a lot of options. I think Winthrop's the best team in the league, even though Longwood only lost one game in the regular season. These two teams only played once in the regular season. It was a four-point game. 
92-88, and Winthrop, I think that was like their third game in five days, so they were in a tough stretch there. Similar stretch, I mean, they played a lot recently, but I think Winthrop's just a better overall team. I do think that it's going to be really intriguing with this one, because Winthrop, as you mentioned, Corey Hightower, along with Patrick Good, both of these guys are able to bomb it from three-point range. Longwood, they seem to be a team which a whole is greater than the sum of its parts. They've got some really good guys that just know how to contribute for this team. Justin Hill has been a guy that has been able to intrigue me as well, so I think that that's going to be an absolutely tremendous matchup now that it is confirmed as we do have Sean Paul of the Field of 68 along with the Baking the Madness podcast joining me on the podcast and along with that as well. We're going to see the CAA really go and get off on Sunday as you want to seeing on Saturday, William and Mary versus Northeastern. If either of these two teams wind up winning the conference tournament, something has went horribly wrong there. But anyway, with that said, it was one of the strangest conferences in all of college basketball in that UNC Wilmington was terrible during the regular season. Won 15-3 and three and they tied for the regular season conference crown with Dowson. Dowson obviously has been able to do a solid job all season long, but if there is a team that I look for to perhaps be able to come out outside of those two to be able to win it, it is Hofstra, a team that's going to be playing against College of Charleston, and I think that they are really the intriguing team from this conference because you've got a guy in Aaron Estrada, comes in from Oregon, he's been able to average 18.5 points per contest. You do have a guy in Abioma, Ola down low, they will give you seven boards per game, and just the offense in general is so efficient. I'm very intrigued to see if Hofstra does wind up going against, say, Towson in the semifinal slash final, because I think that that'll be really what you want to see if you're a fan of the CAA. There's some really good guards in the CAA, but none have better guards than Hofstra. You look at Aaron Estrada, started his career at St. Peter's, went to Oregon, he's in his third year of college and on his third school, and he won Conference Player of the Year. Jalen Ray, I think, is a guy they need to rely on, though. He's been there, he's done that, he's been around Hofstra for five years. I think if they're able to come out and win the CAA title, it will be because of Jalen Ray. Then you have Zach Cooks, who can come off the bench and light it up from outside. It's a little inefficient, but he can get it going. They've competed with some really good schools this year. Almost beat Arkansas. Almost beat Maryland. They almost did beat, beat Arkansas. Houston. Oh, right. They did beat Arkansas. Almost beat uh, Houston. Almost beat Maryland. So they've competed with a lot of schools, but they've also had some weird losses. I think they're the team I'd pick to win that league. Yeah, I think that that's going to be a really intriguing conference tournament, and I'm right there with you with Hofstra. I do think that they have a good chance to be able to get the job done in that conference tournament. And when it comes to what we're getting on Sunday as well, we're getting a lot of conference tournaments, but at the same time, a couple ranked teams are going to be in action as you've got a pretty loaded slate of Big Ten action. Wisconsin's going to be playing Nebraska. Nebraska's been able to win two straight. I certainly don't think that they're going to be making it three straight. I'd be very surprised if we wind up getting that game out there in the Big Ten that I'm really intrigued to see is the Illinois versus Iowa game because first time around when these two teams wound up playing, Illinois got the job done against Iowa in December in a game which Illinois won the rebound battle. I'm not even kidding here. 52 to 24. So <laughs> certainly I think Iowa is going to do a little bit of a better job on the glass, but I take a look at this Iowa team. They've been able to win five straight games. They've been able to play a little bit better away from Carver Rock Arena. I just still feel like I've got my trepidations with them because the defense is always a little bit suspect for Illinois. They didn't necessarily have the sexiest performance against Penn State, but they were able to get the job done. I think that this is going to be a case in which a home court is going to be meaningful for Illinois. I think that they're going to get it done at home, but I think that this is going to be really a good and intriguing game. Yeah, I'm going to take Iowa. I think they're the best team in the Big Ten. I mean, they've been really impressive of late. Keegan Murray, I think, should be the national player of the year. It's him, Johnny Davis, or Oscar Shibwe. But when you look at the consistency all year, Keegan Murray has been the most consistent of the bunch, averaging 23 a game, 56% shooting, almost 40% from deep and here's why I think they could beat Illinois they can pull Kofi Coburn away from the rim on the defensive side of the floor that's where Kofi Coburn struggles it's a good rim protector but if you're pulling him away 
he's not going to be able to stay with some of the speedy players on the outside. You can go to a smaller lineup and put Chris Murray, Keegan Murray, and Patrick McCaffrey at the three, four, and five. And Illinois is going to have trouble matching up with that. So I think they have some good, some matchups that could give Illinois trouble. That's why I think Iowa will be able to win this one. I think it's going to be really intriguing to see what we wind up getting out there. And then a game outside the Big Ten that I'm also intrigued to see. Memphis versus Houston. Memphis first time around. They won on the road. They got the job done against Houston. I am not in on Penny as a solid coach or anything like that. But what I do like is the overall talent of Memphis. But I still take a look at Houston. Number one in the country with regards to percentage of their misses that they wind up corralling an offensive rebound on. Top 20 in offensive efficiency. Top 20 defensive efficiency. I do think that Houston goes on the road. They wind up getting their revenge. I'm not sure how you're feeling about this one. And I will say I am feeling much better about Memphis now, but I still think that Houston is a team that has the chops if they wind up getting the right matchups to be able to make the second weekend of the NCAA tournament and perhaps a Final Four. Houston wins games in two ways. That's dominating the offensive glass and the defensive glass, for that matter, and defense. And Memphis is a team that is a great offensive rebounding team also. They're top 10 in offensive rebounding percentage. Not quite to Houston's level, but they are great in their own right. They're really good when DeAndre Williams is on the floor, and he's on the floor in this one. They've just given Houston a lot of problems over the past two years. Even though Houston won both games last year, that was two of the toughest games that they saw in the conference all year. And then this year, I mean, I don't think anybody saw Memphis beating them in Houston. They just gave Houston trouble all game. I think we're going to see more of the same. I think Memphis is more talented. Obviously, Kelvin Sampson has a significant coaching advantage. But it's a home game for Memphis. They need this one. I think they're going to come out with the win. I think it's going to be really good to see what we wind up getting out there in Memphis on Sunday. And I think that the Sunday card in general is going to be really solid. And Sean, I know you're doing just such an amazing job of taking a look at all these college basketball games. You're doing great work over there at the Field of 68. Got your own podcast, the Making the Madness podcast. Mountain West Wire is also a place where people are able to get a lot of your written work. So love to get people at home. Just know what's on tap for you the next few weeks and the platforms that they're able to follow you on. Yeah, I'll be covering a lot of the conference tournaments, NCAA tournament. Hopefully going to be right on some of the Cinderella picks for this year, and you could find all that on Twitter for me at SeanPaulCBB. Sean did an absolutely amazing job last year. Like I said, he, much like myself, was on Oral Roberts last season. The guy knows how to be able to sniff out these mid-majors. He covers it all from the Power Five all the way down to the Big South like we were talking about on this podcast. Sean, just a wealth of knowledge of college basketball, and it's always great to get him on the podcast. So big thanks to Sean for joining me right here on Coast Coast Hoops, now part of the Beeson family of podcasts. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday as we hit some big show. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? 
Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. And now part of the VEASAN family podcast, it is always a pleasure to get Sean Paul on the podcast. He does terrific work over there at the Field of 68, a man that does his own podcast. He's making the Madness podcast. You're able to catch that podcast wherever you get this one. Guy just brings it night in and night out when it comes to college basketball, and it is great to get him aboard whenever we are able to, and we were able to on this day. So, big thanks to him. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at Jaren's41. Going to be going in the Las Vegas situation or what that means is that the games out there in the Big Ten are going to be first and then from there we're pretty much going to be getting all conference tournament action with games out there in the smaller conferences being at the bottom. So like the Big South final, you're going to be getting stuff like the America East quarterfinals, those are going to be at the bottom. And when you wind up coming out to Las Vegas, instead of typically saying, oh, I want to place a bet on SMU, for instance, you'd instead give the rotation number of 814, which is why I do wind up giving those out. And a lot of books, a lot of apps, they do wind up placing their games in this order as well, which is why I do wind up utilizing it. So let's waste no more time and let's dive into it. We start with 801, 802 on the banking board. Lots of Big Ten action today as you've got Penn State. They're going to be hitting the road face off against Rutgers. Rutgers is finding themselves as a 5.5 point favorite and your total, total on this game is 124. I did mind saying my total at 125. So here at the 124, I'm going to be willing to take a look at this total over now. I will admit I'm doing this a little bit earlier since I wind up doing from 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern time over there on VEASAN, so just want to give you guys a little bit of a disclaimer, so I'm using a little bit of earlier numbers, just being a little bit 
on the forefront of that. But with that said, when it comes to this line, Divine of saying Rutgers also has a six-point favorite. So five and a half is pretty much maximum on delay, but I am on delay with Rutgers. I do think that they should be able to win the battle with regards to the backcourt because you do have Guy and Ron Harper Jr. has got great versatility at six foot six, 16 points, six boards, shoots 40% from three. Rutgers, just a completely different team at the rack. They did wind up losing to Wisconsin, but also take a look at the wins. They were able to knock off a Michigan State team that I do recognize has been faltering a little bit along with that Purdue bunch as well, but they also take down Ohio State. They take down Illinois, so they certainly have had their triumph at home. Meanwhile, we've got a Penn State team that may have done a great job of just being able to slow games down all season long. Big reason why. John Rart, 10.5 points, 10 boards. It's a Penn State team that they do not allow opponents to get a lot of second chances on the road. They're in the top 40 in all of college basketball in that regard. They do have Greg Lee back in full. The guy that say we give you 7.5 points, 6 boards per game. Penn State, a team that shoots right around 34.5% for 3. The key here is going to be Jalen picking out there in the backcourt. It's been able to give this team 12.5 points right in the pocket of about four boards, four and a half assists. Been able to do a solid job there. Seth Lundy, Sam Sessions, they combined to be able to give you about 23 and a half points per contest. And Sessions does shoot 42% from three, but Rutgers, a just completely different team at the rack. They give up about 15 points fewer per one hundred possessions basis at home rather than on the road. Geo Baker has come up big for this team. He's able to give out nearly four assists, 12 points per contest, but Paul Mouke has really been able to do a good job giving you a little bit over five assists per contest. Guy that at home gives out more like six assists per game now. As a guy that shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range, just had seven points or fewer in each of the last three games. I think that this is a total that just went a little bit too low. Penn State is good at being able to control games. They are in the bottom 30 with regards to possessions per game. The defense has been there. Penn State a mid Offense with regards to points scored on a per possession basis. They're right around 180th, and that does wind up declining whenever they are on the road. But Penn State is also a team that they are going to have a tough time with Rutgers, just the way that they wind up playing at the rack in general. I do think that Rutgers is going to be able to get the job done. And it's a Rutgers team that they've been able to break 60 in each out of their last five games. It doesn't sound meaningful, but on a total that is this low, it's really all you need to be able to get the job done. And it's a Penn State team that they themselves they have been giving up more than 60 on a regular basis. I think that we went just a tad bit too far here. I want to say my total at 125. I'm going to take a look at the over. I'm with Rutgers. I'm going to lay up 2-6 with them. 803-804 on the bagging board. Got Memphis. They're going to be playing us to Houston. Houston's a two-point favorite, and your total on this game is 139. With Houston, I want to say them as a four-point favorite. Now, it's a Memphis team that I think that they've got a lot of talent. We were talking about this with Sean Paul. I mean, this is a Memphis team that has a lot of talent. Penny Hardaway has been doing a better job of coaching up these guys. I will give them some credit. At the same time, you do have a Houston team that is number one in all of college basketball with regards to offensive rebound rate. Now, Memphis is going to be able to do a solid job on the glass themselves, but you got Fabian White and Josh Carlton. Two guys that combined for 25.5 points, 12.5 boards. White is able to shoot 39% for three. Now, Houston does shoot 66% on the free line. That's an issue, but they only turn the ball over 11 times per game. Memphis, they turn the ball over right around 16.5 times for contest. Now, Memphis does shoot 68.5% on the free line, 36% from three. Jalen Duran, I think, is going to be the best pure low post player in this game. 12 points, 7.5 boards, 2.3 blocks per contest. And ever since Abani Bates has been out of the fold, Memphis has actually been able to do better. DeAndre Williams now shooting 36% from distance. He's been shooting darn near 50% from three since that Alabama game, 11 points per contest. Landers Nolly, Lester Kionis, they combine for 20 points per contest. You get about two steals per game combined out of these two gentlemen. Both shoot about 36% from three-point range. You've also seen moments of greatness out of Josh Minnett as well. He's been a little bit limited with his minutes, but a guy that whenever he gets out there does a relatively solid job, but with Houston, I do think that they're going to have the best floor general in Jamal Sheed. Now, on the other side, Alex Lomax does give out four assists for Memphis, but Sheed, guy that doesn't shoot 
it well from three, but is a guy that gives you 5.9 assists right around two turnovers for contest. Just makes winning plays for this team. A guy that does a good job of you know, pickpocket as well. 1.8 steals per contest, three plus steals, and now three of the team's last five games. I think that the Memphis turnover woes are going to get them. Now, this is a Memphis team that they play very much up-tempo. They rank in the top 40 with regards to possessions per game, so I do think that that is going to lead to a little bit more of a fast and rambunctious game. It is a spot in which I did wind up setting this total at a 142 because I do think that you wind up getting a little bit of late game following, so I'm going to be taking a look at this total over. And with Houston, I do think that they're going to get revenge for the last time these two teams wind up playing. Houston winds up losing on their home floor as a double-digit favorite. Memphis shot relatively well from three. I think that they're going to be a little bit more bottled up in this game. So, one to lay up to four here with Houston and taking a look at this total over. 805, 806 on the betting board. You've got Ohio State playing us to Michigan. Michigan's a four-point underdog. So, on this game, is 141.5. When it comes to Ohio State, I did why I'm saying them as a five-and-a-half point favorite now. The big trepidation that you've got with Ohio State, they rank outside the top 125 with regards points allowed on a per-possession basis and even in a winning effort against Michigan State. A couple days ago, you could tell that the offense was really firing on all cylinders, but the defense wasn't necessarily there. They've been dealing with injuries to both Zed Key and Kyle Young. I think that at minimum, one of these guys is going to be out. I think that you probably wind up getting back Kyle Young banged up. I could see it where Key winds up being out of the fold. Both of these guys pretty much count the same to line. They both give you eight points, five rebounds per game, so I think whichever one is out doesn't make much of a difference. The big key here, though, is that EJ Liddell, he's going to be in. 19 and a half points, eight boards, two and a half blocks per contest, shooting 38% per three. Ohio State as a whole. They turn the ball over just 11 times per game. They shoot 76% the free line, 37% from three. Both of these teams do rank outside the top 250 with regards to possessions per game, so they're relatively controlled teams. Ohio State is going to be going up against a Michigan defense that they are even worse with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. Michigan is outside the top 210, so it's not great. And they really allow a lot on the interior as well. They're outside the top 200 with regards to opponents, two-point shooting percentage. That's despite the fact that you've got Hunter Dickinson, Dickinson, 18 and a half points, eight and a half boards. He's been able to do a solid job of being able to help flow this offense with the block and a half per contest. And I do like Devontae Jones as well. 10 points, four and a half boards, four and a half assists. But Caleb Buston, not the same player away from home as he is at home. At home, he shoots right around 45% per three. He's able to give you 12 points per contest. On the road, he gives you eight and a half points per contest. Shoots 27.5% from three par and show. He's been on a good run recently. Has been able to give the team double figures in each out of their last four contests. But a lot of those games wound up being at home when he was on the road. He was scoring in single digits, so that is a big thing for this team. Musa Diabate down low, nine points, five and a half boards. That's a relatively solid job, but I do think that this is going to be a case in which Michigan just not the same team when they are away from Ann Arbor. You've got two rather inefficient defenses, two offenses that do a relatively solid job, and I think that Ohio State, despite the fact that they're dealing with some injuries in the low post, should be able to get the job done. I did wind up saying that my line at five and a half, so one will lay four plus here with Ohio State, and with my total set it at a 144.5, I do think that you wind up getting a little bit of late game following Michigan. They shoot right around 73.5% at the free throw line. Ohio State even better. So, looking at the over, I'm going to lay it here with the Buckeyes. It is 7 8 8 on the betting board. You've got Wisconsin, and they're going to be playing us in Nebraska. Cornhuskers are a 14-point underdog with your total on this game, 149. I do think that we went a little bit too far with regards to this total. The last time these two teams wound up playing, Wisconsin was able to go on the road, and they were able to get the job done against Nebraska. You may recall there was a late three by Nebraska to wind up getting a push on a lot of totals. That was a final of 73 to 65. I think that things are going to be a little bit more rambunctious in this game, but I could see things being a tad bit similar. I did wind up saying my total as a result more around a one 
45 and a half with this Wisconsin team. They've been able to have Johnny Davis just be absolutely magnificent. First time around, he had 13 points, 9 boards of Wisconsin in that game with 10 of 22 for 3 par inch air facing a Nebraska team that with regards to total possessions per game in true road games, they are number 1 with that regard, but with Wisconsin in that game, the first time around, they wound up just completely bludgeoning Nebraska on the glass, winning that battle by kind of 47 to 34, and it's a Wisconsin team that they've been able to do a good job with regards to holding opponents to one and done opportunities they're in the top 25 and all of college basketball with that regard. Now Nebraska comes in hot. They've been able to win each other last two games. Defense has been able to step up a little bit as well. They gave up approximately 70 points in each of the last two contests. With that said, this is still a team that they rank outside the top 250 with regards points a lot on a per possession basis and gotta have your concerns with Alonzo Verge. In true road games, he is turning the ball over quite a bit with three and a half turnovers per contest now. Shoots 41% from three-point range in true road games and has been solid for the team. He's been able to give you 13 plus points in each out of the last five contests for this team. So I do like what he's been able to bring to the table. You do have Bryce McCowans, who's been a good set sheet sufferer for this team. First time around, Mr. McGowan's was able to have 23 points, and he's a guy that overall for the years is giving you 17 points, five and a half boards. But Nebraska as a collective, they are one of the lesser three-point shooting teams that you're going to find out there in the Big Ten. They're shooting as a collective right in the pocket of about 32.5% from three. A team that they generate right around seven steals per contest, but they're not going to be able to do a good job down low. You've got one guy that's able to give you north of five and a half rebounds per game in Derek Walker with nine points, six boards. And when it comes to Tyler Wall, he's been able to do a very good job for this Wisconsin team, giving you 11 and a half points, five and a half boards. Not a great three-point shooter, but Brian Davison is a guy that's really been able to step up to help out Johnny Davis, who is leading the team in points, rebounds, assists. I mean, he has been absolutely magnificent. Davison, 14 points, four boards, and home shoots right on 35% from three-point range, and then Chucky Upper wound up being the guy that lifted Wisconsin to victory against Purdue. Guy that only has been able to give you eight points to two assists per contest, but is really coming on strong down the stretch. He has been a flamethrower from three-point range recently, ever since the beginning of the month of February. He's shooting well over 40% from three-point range. I do think that Wisconsin is going to be able to stop this Nebraska hot streak. I do think that Nebraska is going to be able to play a little bit better on defense, but I think that Wisconsin's defense is going to improve as well. Wisconsin a little bit faster this year, right around 260th with regards to possessions per game. Typically, this is a team that you're going to find in the 300s, so that is something that does wind up getting taken into account. It's a spot in which I did wind up seeing Wisconsin at a 15.5 point favorite. I'm willing to lay it. Said this total at 145.5, so much like we wound up seeing in the first game, I'm going to be taking a look at this total under. We move on to 809, 810 on the main board. Tulsa is going to be playing us to Central Florida. The Central Florida Knights find themselves a 2.5 point favorite with your total on this game, 139. I did wind up saying my total at 137. You do have a pair of teams that they're still relatively slow. Now, with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, both of these teams certainly have had their warts, but you just take a look at both of these teams. They're not necessarily playing at a breakneck base. Tulsa, 251st in all of college basketball, and you've got a Central Florida team that they're really not a whole heck of a lot faster at 190th. What I think is going to be very important for Central Florida is being able to do a solid job down low. Chekumbake Zhang, along with CJ Walker, have been able to combine for right around 12 boards per game. You've got a Tulsa team that they are very limited with what you're able to get down low. Dry Horn has just had to become Mr. Two at all for this team. And Horn is a guy that at six foot seven has really been one of the most versatile players, I would even say, in all of college basketball. Because if you take a look at what he does for the team, 16 points, six half boards, 1.3 steals per game, should say 86% at the free time, 41% from three. You've got one other guy that gives you more than three rebounds per game. That'd be Ray Iduo. Eight points, four and a half boards. Sam Griffin, he's able to give you 14 and a half points. Chips in there right around 1.2 steals per contest. And Tulsa, they should 74% at the free time. 
line. So they do a relatively solid job there, but with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, this is a team that they rank outside the top 275. This is just not a vintage Frank Haith defense. Central Florida has their warts as well, but you do have to like the fact that you've got a pair of guys in Darren Green Jr., Long Darius Pair out there in the backcourt that combined for 24.5 points per contest. Green is able to shoot 39.5% from three. Perry, 35% from distance. Central Florida's collective right around 34.5% from three points. And 13 turnovers per game. That's a little bit much, but I do like what I've been seeing out of guys like in Isaiah Adams, who's been able to step up a little bit more. It's a little bit intermiss when you're able to get out of Ty M. Freeman, but Freeman has been able to give you a combined 17 points and nine assists in the last three contests as well. Doesn't really turn the ball over. So you got those nice ancillary pieces for Central Florida that you really don't have with this Tulsa team. As a result, I'm willing to lay up to three here with Central Florida on the road. So I'm going to be willing to lay it. Set my total at 137. You do have a rather slow team with regards to Tulsa and the Tulsa bunch that they're just not going to be able to give themselves second chances. Central Florida, okay, being able to guard the arc. So looking at the under and I'm looking at Central Florida. 8-11, 8-12 on the betting board. You've got South Florida and they're going to be in the road face off against Temple. We have our O Lane Kiffner. Goals. As simple as finding themselves as a favorite in this spot of 10 points in your total on this game. It's 123 and a half now. I recognize that South Florida is a rather anemic offense. They rank in the bottom 55 with regards to points scored on a per possession basis. Bottom 5 in all of college basketball when it comes to the 3 point shooting percentage. But with that said, South Florida and Temple are both relatively stout defenses with South Florida in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They rank in the top 80. I mean, I'm not saying that they're dominant by any stretch of the imagination, but that's still relatively solid. And Temple, they're right in that same vicinity as well. Temple is right around 95th with regards to points a lot on a per possession basis and they're much more dominant at home giving up 11.3 points fewer per 100 at home rather than on the road and that's big because this is a Temple team that they have been rather streaky with regards to the three point shooting percentage. They themselves are in the bottom 40 with that regard. You've been able to get a little bit more out of Ty Strickland. The transfer from Wisconsin has been able to give you right around 8 to 9 points per contest. A guy that has been able to shoot about 31% from 3 but as a whole Temple 39% from 3 point range 67% and at the free throw line. You don't have a lot of size with the Temple team. Other Jelani White has been able to give you right around 5.8 rebounds per game, and he is the only guy that gives you more than 5.3 boards per game. Now, you've had quite a few guys like a Nick Jordion give you right around 4 boards per game. Sage Stolber, whenever he's gotten minutes, he's giving you 4 boards, and you've also got a guy that's able to get her done. That would be Mr. Damian Dunn. He's been able to give you 14.5 points. Only shoots out about 30% from 3-par inch, and then you take a look at the flip side for the South Florida team, and I do like what you've been able to get out of Caleb Murphy. 11.5 points, 3.3 assists. South Florida, 25.5% three-point shooting team, but they do do a solid job. of be able to get right around six, six and a half seals per contest. Javon Green, nine points, four boards, two assists. Jameer Chaplin is now back in the fold for this team as well, a guy that wound up missing a few games, and he's been able to give the team a little bit of a spark. Right around eight and a half points, 4.4 boards as a six foot five, a little bit of a do-it-all guy, seven footer Russell Chua. is able to clog things up down low with right around five and a half boards per game. I do think that you're going to get a rather slow, rather sloppy game. I did wind up saying my total at a 123.5. I'm seeing a 122.5 arise as well. I'm going to be willing to take the over in this spot just because I do think that this is a situation which something's got to give. You do have a South Florida team that they've been giving up a little bit more recently. 64 plus points in now five out of their last six games. And it's a double team that on defense, it's been starting to falter as well. They've given up at least 70 points in each other last four games. Now, neither of these offense 
are necessarily high powered, but I do think that it's going to be close enough to where you are going to be getting some late game following. Both of these teams shoot right around 66 to 67% of the charity stripe, so got to figure that there's going to be quite a bit of late game following. I did wind up saying my total as a result, 123.5. I'm looking at an over on a 122.5. When it comes to the spot, wound up saying Temple as a 7.5 point favorite, so I'm willing to take the points here with South Florida. As we move on to 8.13, 8.14 on the betting board, you've got yourself Tulane, and they're going to be hitting the road face off against SMU. SMU in 8 to 8.5 point favorite in your tolerance game in between 145.5 and 146.5. With SMU, I'm willing to lay up to 9 with them because this is an SMU team that is very well run out there in the backcourt. You've been able to have Kendrick Davis do a very solid job for this team. He's able to give you 19.5 points, chips in there, 4 boards, 4.5 assists, shoots about 36% from 3 point range. As all SMU, they shoot a little bit over 36% from 3 point range, 74.5% at the charity stripe. You've got the Weathers brothers and Marcus and Michael Weathers. They combine to be able to give you just under 23 points. They also give you 13 boards, 4 assists. Both of these gentlemen shoot between 38.5 and 39% from 3 point range. Emmanuel Pandemel has been able to give you 10 and a half points per contest as well. Then you take a look at Tulane, a very top-heavy team. You've got the two Jalen's, Jalen Cook, Jalen Forbes. They combine for 34 and a half points per contest. You've been able to get a combined three sales. The both gentlemen shoot between 39 and 40 percent for three with between 76 and 79 and a half percent free throw shooting as whole. Tulane does shoot right around 37 and a half percent for three, 75 and a half percent the free throw line, but got one other guy that gives you more than seven and a half points per game. Kevin Cross does a good job down low, 14 points, seven boards, three assists, and then Zion James also gives you three assists, seven and a half points per game, but outside that you're looking for someone like a Devin Baker to be able to step up. He's been able to give you five and a half points per contest. Guy that's been a little bit of an interesting mixer and shaker. Double figures in three out of the last four games. So to be able to step up a little bit more, RJ McGee has been a little bit more of a defensive stopper. Meanwhile, you take a look at the flip side. Zach Natal has been able to do a solid job for the SMU team. Seven points, low 33-point shooter. Been able to get a little bit whenever he's been out there. And it's Stefan Tordovic. He has been able to give you 44% three-point shooting at home. Shoots right around 45% from distance and be able to give the team a combined 14 points and 7 boards in games against Houston and Tulsa recently so it's been able to be a little bit of a nice cog for this SMU team. I do think that SMU has a job to be able to get the job done against a two-lane team that has been rather shaky on defense but with regards to their offense, it's been a top 100 offensive def- efficiency team. You've got an SMU team that with regards to their defense, now they're in the top 75 with regards points a lot on a per possession basis. Both of these teams, a little bit more of a brisk tempo but not necessarily harebrained. Set this all at 145. I'm willing to go under and with the SMU, I'm willing to lay up to 9 with them. 8-15, 8-16 on the betting board. Maryland hits the road face-off against Michigan State. Spartans are between a 5.5 and a 6-point favorite, and your turtle on this game is anywhere between 142.5 and 143.5. Michigan State, I believe that there's 7 losses in 9 games. That is tied for the most in a 9-game span in the history of Tom Izzo's regime over there at Michigan State. It is very shocking to see. I think that they're going to be able to get up off the mat in this one. I guess a Maryland team that has been able to cover recently. I believe that they've now covered 4 out of the last five games, but with that said, I did wind up saying Michigan State as a 7.5 point favorite because I do think that you're going to be able to get some good three-point shooting in this game. Got a pair of guys in Malik Hall, a couple with Ty Walker. They combined for 17.5 points per contest. Both of these guys rank in the top 20 among qualifying players in three-point shooting percentage. Walker, number one at 55.5%. Hall, 47.4% from three-point range. Hall is able to give you 4.5 boards per game. Marcus Bingham Jr., you need this guy to be able to give you good minutes because he's able to be a difference maker at 7 feet tall. 9 points, 5.8 boards. Shoots nearly 40% from three. He gives you 2.2 blocks per contest, but you can tell that he's sort of been in the doghouse of Tom Izzo all season. Gabe Brown has really only been the only double-figure scorer here for Michigan State. 11.5 points, four boards. He shoots 37% from three-point range overall, though. 
Michigan State does shoot 38.5% from three. That's in the top 30 in all of college basketball, even better at home. A.J. Hogard has been able to give you five assists, but for Michigan State, 13.5 turnovers. That's a little bit unsightly. Maryland's a little bit better than in past years at being able to generate swipes, but still, just 6.2 per contest. They do shoot right around 76% at the free line, 33% from three range. Akeem Hart, Eric Ayala, Fats Russell. They all shoot between 34 and 35% from three range. Russell and Ayala both give you between 14 and 15 points per contest, but Take a look at Fats Russell. This is a guy that has been on a rampage recently. 16 plus points in each of the team's last five contests. Was really able to close out that win against the Ohio State University. Guy has scored in double figures in every one of the team's games ever since January 21st. So I like what he's bringing to the table for this team. Has been able to get 1.3 steals per contest. Team leads a little bit of something to be desired down low. Kudaswab, Longtante Scott. They combine to be able to give you right around 12 boards per contest, but they don't necessarily do a good job with their interior defense. I do think that it's going to be a spot in which Michigan State is going to be able to get a couple threes to drop. Michigan State, it's been a team that has been playing at a little bit more of a controlled tempo. It's been a little bit tougher for them on offense and it's a Maryland team that they've actually been able to find their defense a little bit more recently as well. So it is a spot in which I did mind setting this total at a 139.5. Maryland a little bit faster than in the Mark Turgeon days, but still a relatively slow team. So I'm going to be taking a look at this total under and with Michigan State, I'm willing to lay up to 7.5 with them. We move on to 8.17, 8.18 on the bank board. This is a DK Nation pick as if you got Illinois, they're going to be playing us at Iowa. Iowa's a 3 point underdog. Total is anywhere between 153.5 and 154. Gonna have to go mano a mano with my good friend Sean because I do like Illinois in this spot. I wound up saying them as a six-point favorite. Now, Iowa, they are on a six-game win streak. They have looked very solid in the process, but at the same time, when it comes to this Iowa team, you do have a bunch that they leave a lot to be desired on defense and especially on the road. They give up right around 11 more points per 100 possessions on the road rather than at home, and they rank 125th with regards to defensive efficiency as well. For Illinois, they should be able to control the glass. Last time these two teams wound up playing, they won the rebound battle by a count of 52 to 24 now. That was all the way back in December, but got Kofi Cobra, one of the most immovable objects in all of college basketball. 21 points, 10 and a half boards, has been rock solid there. Alfonso Plummer, Jake Granderson. They both shoot a combined 41.5% from three. Plummer, 15 points per contest. Granderson, right around 10 and a half points per game. And then Trent Frazier brings it all together. 12 and a half points, four assists. It's an Illinois team that, with their 12.3 turnovers per game, is relatively solid. Now, Iowa, a top five team with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis. They have been an absolute sizzler with that regard. They are also in the top three in all of college basketball with regards to turnovers on a per-possession basis. 8.9 per game with their tempo. That's relatively insane. Keegan Murray, I mean, 23 points, 8.5 boards, steal in half, nearly two blocks per contest. That's absolutely terrific. Joe Bohannon is able to shoot it relatively well from three-point range, especially on the road, shooting in the high 30s from three-point range. That's solid, but I do think that Illinois could be able to do a good job of being able to control this game, much like they did in the first game, being able to win from within. I did mind him saying this total at a 160. You do have an Illinois team that, other than that game against Penn State, which Penn State, they are slowing down everyone. They've been able to do a great job on offense, 79 plus points in their previous three games, and it's an Iowa team that they themselves have been able to do a great job on offense. 75 plus points in each of their last five games, and for that matter, they've been able to put up 75 plus points in, I believe, something like all but one of their games ever since the beginning of the month of February. So, somebody total on 160. I'm going to be going over DK Nation pick, laying the points here with Illinois. 819-820 on the bank board. Northwestern is going to be playing host to Minnesota. The State with the small strengths in the Union, Minnesota. 7.5 to an 8-point underdog. So is any more team, 137.5 and 138. Set my line at 7.5. Here at 8, it's my buy point on Minnesota. I need at least 8 to be able to take a shot on Minnesota, but I'm going to take a shot on Minnesota at 8. When it comes to this Gophers team, they were able to take down Northwestern the last time around 77-60 to 60 at home in that game. 
Minnesota went 11-23 from three-point range. I don't think that they're going to be able to duplicate that. James Battle in that game at 21 points, five assists, 14 rebounds. He was absolutely tremendous, Sam. I do think that he's going to have another solid game. I don't think he's going to quite do that overall for the years, averaging 17.5 points, six half boards. So it's credit. Game travels relatively well. He shoots 37% from three in true road environment, so and he does a solid job, but it's also a Minnesota team that they really don't have a lot of depth in that contest. They wound up having two guys get more than two minutes off the bench, so that's a little bit of an issue. You've been able to have EJ Stevens do a solid job for the team. He's able to give you 10.5 points per contest, and he's able to shoot 39.5% from three-point. It is a Minnesota team that has been dealing with a couple of ailments throughout the season, but they've been able to mix and match. Peyton Wills wound up missing the last time they wound up playing, and he has been able to do a good job recently. Shooting overall for the season right around 43.5% from three-point range. He's able to give you 16 points per contest, but take a look at it. He's been able to give the team at least 13 points in now all but two of their games ever since the beginning of the month of February. So he's been able to do a good job there. Meanwhile, for Northwestern, I think that they're going to do a good job down low with having Pete Nance be able to take things over. 14.5 points, 6.5 boards. Guy that shoots 43.5% from three with a block per contest at six foot ten. Northwestern only turns the ball over 9.5 times per contest. That's in the top 10 in all of college basketball. They do an okay job on the glass. Ryan Young is able to give you right around four and a half boards, nine points per contest. Not a guy that's going to create from the outside, but a guy that is able to do a relatively solid job down low. You've been able to have someone like a Tyberry be able to shoot 40% from three-point range. Northwestern, a little bit of a better three-point shooting team when they're at home rather than when they are on the road. It's a Northwestern team that with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, it certainly has been going a little bit more sour for them, but I mean, by and large, you take a look at it, and it could be worse. They are a team that they give up right around... I would say 97 points on a per 100 possession basis, but at home, they give up 10.8 points fewer per 100 rather than on the road. It's a Minnesota team that we've seen them really falter late in games. They rank 255th with regards points allowed on a per possession basis. I will say this. Home and road, they do a good job of traveling Minnesota. They just don't force a lot of seals, but at the same time, they don't turn the ball over a lot, so you can expect a lot of clean possessions. You can expect a little bit of a slowdown game, but I do think they're going to have some relatively solid efficiency. I just don't think they're going to have enough possessions in this game to be able to get an over. I did wind up saying the total at a 136 as a result. Northwestern, just a better defensive team at home, so I'm going to be taking a look at the under, but with Minnesota, A-plus going to be willing to take a shot here. 821-822 on the betting board. We're going to be going to a game with no numbers, as it was a situation which you needed Northeastern to be able to survive in advance yesterday to get to this spot, but they were able to as they are going to be playing against Towson. Towson is a team that actually had a tough time with Northeastern during the regular season. They lost once, and their other win was only by three points, so that does need to be thrown in there with that said. If you took a look at that Northeastern versus William and Mary game yesterday, Northeastern was up by a count of 18 to 17 at the half. You did wind up having Chris Doherty be able to give the team double figures yesterday. He's a guy that's able to do a relatively solid job. 11 and a half points, 9 boards per game, but with that said, I don't like the recent form of Northeastern. It is a spot in which I'm going to be setting Towson as an 11 and a half point favorite with Towson. This is a team that they're really doing a great job of being able to light it up. You've got a team that they rank in the top 75 with regards to points scored on a per possession basis. Cam Holden is just a guy that's able to do it all for this team. He's able to chip in there 13 and a half points, 8 boards, 3 assists. Not necessarily a great 3 point shooter, but he also chips in their two seals per contest. It's a Towson team that's going to be going up against the Northeastern much as one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball. Northeastern, they rank in the bottom 50 with regards to possessions per game, so you can expect to see a little bit more of a slow and controlled game. Towson, they themselves are a team that they do a good job of playing methodically right around 300 with regards to possessions per game, but you do take a look at the Southson team as well, and I do like what you able to get out of Nicholas Simberlake right around 13 and a half points. He chips in their five boards. You've got a pair of guys in Jason Gibson and 
Antonio Rizzuto, who both shoot right around 40% from three-point range, so they've been rock solid for the team as well. Towson is a team that ranks in the top 55 with the yards points allowed on a per-possession basis. I chalk up the two struggles that they wound up having against Northeastern as a little bit more outliers in general, so I do think that it should be Towson relative domination here. I did wind up saying my total at a 129.5, so I'm going to be taking a look at that, and I did wind up saying Towson as an 11.5 point favorite. A 23, a 24 on the betting board. This is out there for the CAA tournament, so the first game between Towson and Northeastern also going to be out here at the Entertainment and Sports Arena in Washington, D.C., Drexel and Delaware. This game has Drexel as between a pick'em to a one-point favorite. Total is anywhere between 143, seeing size of 144.5 with Drexel. I do want to sing them as a two-point underdog with Drexel. They just have not been able to get a lot out of James Butler. He wound up getting injured and wound up falling out of favor. So they've been using down low Amari Williams a bit more. A guy that's able to give you 9.5 points, 7.5 boards for the season. You take a look at him and he's able to give you two blocks per contest. So he's been able to do a relatively solid job there, but I do take a look at Delaware. I do think that Mr. Painter is going to be owning the paint. That would be Dylan Painter. 12.5 points, 7 boards, 2 assists. Has actually shot 40% from 3-point range and away from home. Shoots over 50% from 3-point range. He was a little bit banged up. Looked very good in the team's highest game of the regular season against Towson. Wound up, it was actually a picked-up game, but at overall 19 points. So his recent form being back is very good for a Delaware team that you got a solid backcourt. Jameer Nelson Jr., 14 points, 5 boards, 1.8 steals per game. She's 38% from three-point range. Ryan Allen is able to shoot 35% from three, 12 points per contest. Kevin Anderson keeps things flowing. Steal and a half, three and a half assists per contest. And then the guy that's really been able to come on, E.B. Asamoah, a guy that only for the year has been able to give you 7.7 points per contest. He's been a little bit more pedestrian recently, but he's been able to give the team a combined five steals to just two turnovers in the last three games. I think that he's going to be able to step up in a big way for the team. You got a guy out there in the Drexel backcourt in Cameron Winter that makes it snow. 15 points, five boards, 4.7 assists, so it's very chilly for teams that wind up having to play against him, but with that said, he just is not a guy that necessarily shoots well from three-point range at 28%. Got a Drexel team that, as a whole, they're shooting from three-point range right around 35.5%, and you got a pair of defenses that we're going to call it what it is. They're a little bit less than efficient. Delaware, with regards points a lot on a per-possession basis, 254th. Drexel, they are right in that vicinity, right around 225th. I will say, being out there in a neutral court, I think is going to cause both teams to struggle a little bit more with their three-point shot. I do want to say the total at a 138 as a result, and I made Delaware a two-point favorite because I do think that they've got a couple more pieces out there in their backcourt. We move on to 825-826 on the betting board. We've got Elon, and they are going to be hitting the red face off against UNC Wilmington. Wilmington is finding themselves as a 3.5 to a 4-point favorite, and you're talking on this game you're between 135.5 and 136.5. I set Wilmington as a 4-point favorite. 4 is the absolute max I'm willing to lay with UNC Wilmington, but I'd be willing to lay a 4 with them. You've got an Elon team that they're a little bit better on defense than they were at the beginning of the year because there was a point in which Elon was a bottom 5 team with regards points allowed on a per-possession basis. Now they rank 305th. It's not like it's a lot of progress, but it's a little bit of it. And then you take a look at UNC Wilmington. They were just an absolute poop saying out of conference. In conference, this is a team that they went 15-3. and three. Now, they were a little bit lucky to get there. If you look at the Kimbaum luck metric, they actually rank higher than Providence, which... If you guys know how lucky Providence has been, that's actually relatively hilarious. But you do take a look at this UNC Wilmington team, and they do a good job of being able to take care of the ball. Fewer than 11 turnovers per contest. I do like what you're able to get out of Jalen Sims. 15.5 points, 5.5 boards. Guy that shoots right around 34% from three-point range. Shaquem Phillips, Michael Kudo, these guys combined for about 24 points, 4.5 assists, 3 steals per game. And with Wilmington, they generate right around 7.7 steals per contest, despite the fact that they're a bottom 75 tempo team. Elon, they're not necessarily playing at warp speed either. Darius Burr 
for four. Long Thunder McIntosh combined for 27 points per contest. They combined to be able to give you right around six assists and both shoot 37.8% from three firing G-line as whole. They shoot 34% from three. They're big bugaboo. 13.2 turnovers per contest. That is a little bit of an issue. You don't necessarily have a ton of rebounding either. Michael Graham is the only guy that gives you more than four and a half boards per game. He's able to give you 9.3 points, seven boards. And it's been a team that has been trying to mix and match without Taurus Watson. Watson is someone that winds up coming in from Missouri. Hasn't been seen since late January. Was a guy that was giving you right around nine points per contest. So we've been seeing a little bit more out of some of the ancillary pieces for this team, and they have not necessarily been able to step up. So it is a spot in which I did wind up saying UNC Wilmington as a four-point favorite. I did wind up making my total 137.5. You've got an Elon team that is a little bit less than efficient on the defensive end, and UNC Wilmington, they've been able to do a solid job of finding guys to be able to put the ball in the bucket. And I do think that there's going to be late game falling. So looking at it over, one will to four year with Wilmington, 827, 828 on the main board. Hofstra is going to be playing against College of Charleston. Charleston's a three-point dog, and your total on this game is one 160 and a half. Charleston is playing at a very, very rapid pace. Top five in all of college basketball. The guards possessions per game. And as a matter of fact, these two teams wanted playing on the 28th of February. That was an 89-84 game. I do think being out there on a neutral court is going to affect the shooting a little bit of Hofstra. It's a Hofstra team that they do rely upon a lot of shooting because in that last game that these two teams wanted playing, they took 33 three-pointers in that game. With that said, I think that Hofstra will be able to find a way to be able to get the job done because Abioma Iola has been able to get the team right around 7.5 points, 7.5 boards per game, and Aaron Estrada is a guy that's able to get to the cup. 18.5 points, 6 boards, 5 assists. Guy that shoots right around 33% from 3, but over 93% at the free throw line. This guy has been absolutely tremendous. Now, in that last game against the College of Charleston, he did wind up having 7 turnovers, and Charleston is a team that they're able to do a good job of pickpocketing. They generate right around 8.2 steals per game, and also turn the ball over 15.7 times for contests as well, so that is a little bit of an issue. You've got John Meeks, who is anything but Meek. 13.5 points per contest. Guy that is able to shoot about 34.5% from 3-point range. Run Smith, Long, Brandon Tucker. They combined to shoot about 30% from the outside. They combined to be able to give you 24 points per contest. You've got Demetrius Underwood giving you 11.5 points, 7 boards, 3 assists, 2.2 steals per game. So he's been able to do a relatively solid job. But since Vamir Ali has been out of the fold, it's been a team that has had to mix and match a little bit more with Charleston. You just don't have anyone other than Underwood that's able to give you more than 4.7 rebounds per game. Onyichi Smart has been able to give you a little bit of something down low, but has not necessarily been able to fire on all cylinders recently. He's given the team a combined four rebounds in the last three contests. Seems like he might be a little bit banged up, so I think that that's going to be a difference maker here for Hofstra. Want to lay up to four and a half with Hofstra. I do think that the neutral court environment is going to affect the scoring a little bit in this game, so I did why I'm saying my total at 158 and a half, so diving under, and I'm going to be willing to lay it here with Hofstra. We move on to 829, 830 on the betting board. This is the Missouri Valley Conference Final out there in St. Louis, Missouri. Loyal Chicago is doing battle with Drake. I want to make him the Loyal Chicago a five-point favorite on my line. No overnight numbers as both of these teams had to win on Saturday in order to get here. But you do take a look at Loyal Chicago. It just feels like this is a team that's a little bit on a mission. They are one of the top teams in all of college basketball with regards to three-point shooting percentage at a little bit over 38% now. It is a case in which the, I guess you call it environment in general, doesn't lead itself to being great for three-point shooting teams, but Loyal Chicago does a good job of being able to drive the ball inside. They rank in the top 40 with the guards points a lot on a per-possession basis as well, and Braden Norris wound up having a very big game, double 
figures yesterday for this bunch. He's been able to get the team 10 points, 4 assists, but Lucas Williamson is really the heart and soul guy for this team. 14 points, 5 boards, 3 assists, 1.3 steals per contest. Meanwhile for Drake, it's a team that ever since they wound up picking up Tucker DeVries, they've been a little bit less efficient this year, which is strange. You've only got one guy giving you more than 5.5 rebounds per game. That'd be Garrett Sturts. He's been able to give you 11 points, 7.5 boards per game. He's been relatively solid. Drake has a collective. They shoot right around 34.5% for three. They do shoot 75% at the free line, but DJ up Wilkins has been out of the fold. Guy that shoots 39% for three, 87.5% in their free throw line. And I would argue their best sharpshooter, Saquon Emphill. Give him credit. He's been able to step up here in this conference tournament. He's been able to give the team a combined, I believe, 16 rebounds in the last two contests prior to yesterday. Yesterday he had just 7 points, 2 boards, but still was able to do a little bit of something down low to be able to help the team be able to get the job done. And then for Loyal Chicago, I think it's going to be big is having guys like Ahir Ugwak, Ryan Schwieger, a pair of guys that give you 9 points per contest, being able to step up. You just have a Loyal team in which the hole is greater than some of its parts. I think that they're going to do a solid job on defense. First two times these two teams wound up playing, you wound up getting a pair of overs. Most recent game, Drake wound up getting the job done 83-76. to I think that this neutral court environment, tired legs, going to be taking a little bit of a hold. I do think that the team with a bunch of fifth-year seniors pulls it out in this one. I said Loyal Chicago is a five-point favorite. Set the total at 133.5. We go to the SoCon semifinal. 831-832 on the banging board. Wofford is going to be playing against Chattanooga. Both of these teams had to win yesterday to be able to survive in advance to get to this spot, so we've got no numbers up on this game, but I do want to make Chattanooga a 4.5-point favorite, and I made this total 134.5. You've got a pair of teams that they are not playing with any sort of tempo whatsoever. This is a Chattanooga team that is 292nd in the country with regards possessions per game, and Wofford 340th out of 350. 50-81 teams, I will say. Both of these teams do rank in the top 75 with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis, so you got a pair of relatively efficient offenses. Both of these teams are okay, not great, not terrible on defense. You take a look at this Chattanooga team, and they're going to have the best player on the floor. That'd be Malachi Smith. 20.3 points. He's able to give you a little bit over six boards. Ships in their three assists. Shoots nearly 40% from three-point range. Silvio De Sosa should be able to take things over down low. 6.8 rebounds per game for the transfer from Kansas. You do take a look at this Wofford team. They should be able to do a good job of rebounding themselves because You've got BJ Mack, coupled with Isaiah Bigelow, both of these guys combined to be able to give you right in the neighborhood about 11.5 rebounds for Max Fleesmith along with Mack have been able to combine for 31.5 points per contest. Mack attack has been able to shoot 45% for three. Wofford has a whole 76.5% at the free line. They just don't give you a lot of blocks down low. It's a team that they only get right around 1.5 blocks per contest. Messiah Jones going out of the fold wound up earning that quite a bit but you do take a look at Chattanooga and the reason why I've got them as a little bit of a favorite in this spot is because you do have good sharp shooting from this team. David Jean Baptiste shoots 38% from three point range 14.5 points per contest. Series Banks they will give you five boards, eight and a half points. Shoots in the low 30s from three-point range. But A.J. Caldwell, say we give you two and a half assists, five points. Shoots the well from three-point range. Lots of good weapons for a Chattanooga team that they shoot 75% at the free fly. They turn the ball over just 11 times for contest. And they do generate seven and a half steals per game as well. So it's a spot in which I did wind up saying Wofford as a... Four and a half point underdog. I do think the things are going to be relatively controlled with the tempo, so made my total a one thirty four and a half as well. 833-834 on the betting board saying out there in the SoCon semifinal. It is going to be Sanford taking on Furman. Both of these teams had to win yesterday, so no numbers up on this game. Semi-total on 146.5. You do have a Furman team that they don't necessarily play at a breakneck pace. They're a team that they're right around 200th with regards to possessions per game. You do have a Sanford team that they're willing to play a little bit faster, and it's a Sanford team that they generate right around 7.7 seals per contest. I do like what you're getting there, and Quest Glove 
over. So they will give the team 19 points per contest. He was very solid for the team yesterday. Jermaine Marshall is able to hold his own on the glass as well. He will give you right around 13 points, 8 points per contest. Now Jalen Slauson, he is a triple-double waiting to happen for this tournament team. He's been absolutely amazing all season long. Being able to give you right around 7 half boards, he gives you 13, 14 points per game. And then on top of that, right around 2 boards, 2 seals per game, Mike Bothwell, Alex Hunter. Combined for 29 points per contest, you've got a guy in Hunter that shoots 42% from 3 in Furman. They shoot 38.6% from 3 power range. That's in the top 25 in all of college basketball. I think that that's going to be relatively solid for them. If you take a look at Furman, they've been one of the better defensive teams in this conference as well. Doesn't sound like much, but 209th with regards to points a lot on a per-possession basis. Problem is, they give up 11.1 points more per one whenever they are away from home rather than when they are at home. It's a Sanford team that they themselves rank 275th in this category, so that is a little bit of an issue, but having back Logan Dye has been able to help this team out double-figure amount of points right around six boards per game. Now, Conley Garrison on the flip side for Furman. Shoots 44% per three. So they will give you right around 10 points per game, so I do like what he's able to bring to the table for this team, but last time these two teams wound up meeting up, you have to go back to mid-February. Samford got the job done at home against Furman by kind of 83-75. to 75. In that game, Furman did wind up shooting 12-35 for three-point range. Samford won 7-15. I think that they'll be a little bit more icy in that game, but Samford, after they wound up having a bunch of turnover woes at the beginning part of the season, they've been able to do a much better job here down the stretch, and a guy that's been a little bit of a difference maker, that'd be Jaden Campbell. 10 points, right around three and a half boards per game. He's the guy that's able to shoot about 39% from three-point range. Wound up having just seven points in the team's last outing, but a guy that does a good job will be able to generate some turnovers. One of the best pickpocketers, six foot five, a little bit of a combo player. Should be able to keep Sanford live in this game. I do think the Furman is going to be able to get the job done, but they don't necessarily get a lot out of the bench either. So I do mind saying this line more around a seven half in this spot. I did mind to make my total one forty six and a half. We go to the Sun Belt semifinal, eight thirty five, eight thirty six in Pensacola, Florida. It is going to be Louisiana, and they're going to be taking on Troy. No numbers up on this game. Both of these teams had to survive in advance to get to this spot, and it is a situation. Which I've got Louisiana as a favorite of two and a half points. With this Troy Bunch, they've been able to do a solid job on defense. And for Louisiana, I just think that they're going to be able to do a better job on the glass. Because you take a look at Troy, and they're a team that they turn the ball over 15 times for contests when it comes to Louisiana. More like 16 times for contests. But with Troy, they are right around 70th in the country with the guards points allowed on a per-possession basis. But Louisiana, they're making the top one on themselves because of their rebounding. You've got Theo Akwuba, coupled with Jordan Brown. Both of these guys have been able to give you a combined about... 16 and a half rebounds per contest. Now, when it comes to Louisiana, Duguay being in and out of the fold has certainly hurt this team a little bit. That has been a bit of an issue. And when it comes to Louisiana in general, it is a team that they are going to need to be able to get a little bit more out of the backcourt. But Kentrell Garnett is a guy that shoots just below 50% from three-point range. I do like what he's been able to bring to the table for this team. You take a look at the flip side and what you're able to get out of this Troy backcourt, and you really don't have a lot. Kiefer Plummer has been able to give you right around six points per contest. It's just not necessarily that great out there. Meanwhile, for Louisiana, you've been able to have a couple guys be able to step up, but I mean, really, it's all about Jordan Brown. 14 and a half points, 8 and a half boards for the former McDonald's All-American that shoots over 40% from three-point range. It is a Louisiana bunch that they generate right around 7 and a half seals per contest. Really, both of these teams do a solid job of that. Louisiana's been a little bit rough at the free throw line this season, shooting sub-70%. Troy has been a team that has certainly had their ups and their downs as well. you got a guy in Zay Williams who's able to give you right around 7 boards, 8 and a half points per contest. They shoot as a collective 71.5% at the free throw line with F.E. Obadiji being the only guy that gives you really more than 9 points per contest, 11.5 points, 6 boards per game, but 
you could tell that they had a little bit of a tough time with Little Rock. They wound up having a unconsciously hot three-point shooting performance of 10 to 22 to be able to get by yesterday with Duke Dean going four of nine from three-point range. I don't think that that's necessarily going to be able to duplicate itself. I do think that because you do have a Louisiana team that they rank in the top 75 of the guards possessions game that you're going to get a little bit of pace. I do think that it's going to be a relatively close game as well. So it is a spot in which I did wind up saying my total here at a 137F and with Louisiana made them a two and a half point favorite. 837, 838 on the bank board staying out there in the Sun Belt semifinal. Appalachian State and Georgia State are doing battle. Appalachian State had to win yesterday to be able to survive and advance along Georgia State. Spot in which I did wind up saying this total at a 133.5. If you've got an Appalachian State team that ranks in the bottom 25 in all of college basketball with regards to possessions frame, Appalachian State has been relatively solid on defense right around 130th with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. This is typically a Georgia State team that hangs their hat on being able to shoot bombs away from three-point range, but they only shoot right around 32% this season. They still do have a lot of their senior slash fifth-year guards out there that are able to do a solid job. Corey Allen has been able to give the team just below 14 and a half points per contest. Been a guy that has been a constant for them scoring all year long, just not necessarily doing it as much from three-point range. Kane Williams does a good job rolling out the ball. Four assists, 1.8 steals, 12 and a half points per contest, and that really has been a hallmark for Georgia State. 9.2 steals per game. They rank in the top 15 in all of college basketball. And Aliel Nsume has been terrific down low. Wound up having a double-double yesterday against Arkansas State. 10 points, 12 boards overall for the season. Averaging right around 9.8 rebounds per game. Has really been able to do a good job of being able to give this team some rim protection. And then you do take a look at this Appalachian State team. They don't necessarily have much of that. You've got one guy that's able to give you more than six boards per game. That'd be James Lewis who had just two points and four boards yesterday but encouraging sign for Appalachian State you've got a guy in Justin Forrest who's been bad all year long. Two seasons ago he wound up averaging 17 points per contest. This year he's averaging just nine points on 25% three point shooting. He had 20 points yesterday against Georgia Southern. I do think that that could build a little bit of upward momentum You've got a guy in Adrian Delph who's able to give you 17 points per contest. Gives you right around four and a half boards. Shoots 40% from three-point range, and that's big. Appalachian State, one of the best teams in all of college basketball. They're not turning the ball over. 9.9 turnovers for contest, but they're going to shoot about 32.5% from three, 66% at the charity stripe. I do think that Michael Almonsi is going to have a little bit of an impact on this game as well. 10.5 points. Guy that shoots right around 33% from three-point range, but has been very hit or miss. Last six games, 9, 4, 12, 26, 6, and 11 points. So I do think that it's going to be a case with Georgia State having just their constant score and having the best rebounder in this game. Going to be able to get the job done. Pair of inconsistent offenses, though. You've got a Appalachian State team that likes to slow it down, a Georgia State team that plays faster but plays a little bit more defense-oriented. Set this total at 133.5 and made Georgia State a 5.5-point favorite. 839, 840 on the betting board. You've got the Summit League semifinal, actually quarterfinal, as we wind up going out there to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. As you've got yourself South Dakota, and they're going to be playing against the UMKC. UMKC is finding themselves any working a one-point favorite to pick them, and your tall game is between 137F and 139. When it comes to South Dakota, it's a team that I wound up setting as a two-point favorite. South Dakota, this is a team that they rank in the top 65 with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis. Now, UMKC has been able to do a very solid job out there in the backcourt. UMKC has bumped up their tempo a little bit more from past years. South Dakota, they're a little bit more of a control team now. South Dakota is a team that they rank outside the top 225 with regards to points a lot on a per-possession basis. I chalk that up a little bit more to the competition than anything else. With UMKC 
because they've been sped up a little bit more, I do chalk that up a little bit more to the competition as well. So I think that you're going to see a little bit more of a control game. But what I think is going to be very critical in this spot is having South Dakota be able to get a good performance down low out of Hunter Goodrick. Goodrick has been able to give you a little bit over seven rebounds per game, seven and a half points per contest. It's been a little bit inconsistent, but six plus fours. And now three of the team's last four contests, you've got a UMKC bunch that they rely upon Marvin Nesbitt Jr. to be able to clog things up down low. He has been able to give you 12.6 half boards per game. You've also got Akel Lamar along Josiah Alec. Both of these guys combine for about 27 points. Both give you between six and six half boards per game. And both shoot right around 34 to 35% from three-point range. Elvin Gilliard, the main floor general for UMKC, 17 points, 3.3 assists. She's 42.5% from three for a UMKC bunch. At. They do a good job of being able to take care of the ball. 10.7 turnovers per game. South Dakota, 10.1 turnovers per contest. They've actually been a little bit better. Tazos Camateros has been able to come on towards the back half of the season. He, Mason Armichel, along Cruz Petio Hunt, all their top three scorers for this team. You get between these three about 42 points per contest. They all shoot at least 38.5% from three, and they all shoot at least 83.5% at the free line. That's just ridiculous to try to have to match up with. Xavier Fuller wound up missing a lot of the season, but Xavier Fuller's on the back and full. The guy that's able to give you right around 10 points per contest has been coming in off the bench a little bit more, but I think that he's going to be able to give you some good contributions in this game. I think that UMKC just going to have too many guys to be able to guard us. A UMKC bunch at they're generating right around 7.5 steals per contest, but I think that South Dakota is going to be able to control the game. I do think that both of these teams at their core, they want to play a little bit slower. Set my total at a 136. I'm diving under of South Dakota, making them a two-point favorite. Last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit the extra games is 841-842. Oral Roberts is going to be playing against Western Illinois. Bobby Roberts is a six-point favorite in your total in this game. 163.5. I wound up saying my total at a 163. I think that you're going to get a high-scoring game. I think we've went up a little bit too high with Oral Roberts. It is a team that certainly leaves a little bit of something to be desired on defense, ranking outside the top 225 with regards points allowed on a per-possession basis. And, well, Western Illinois, they've had their issues as well. 262nd with this regard. But it is Western Illinois team that they could be a little bit inconsistent with their three-point shooting, shooting about 34%. Or Roberts, meanwhile, they shoot 38.3% from three-point range. You've been able to have Isaac McBride along Trey Phillips be able to do a good job of being able to support Max Aismas. Aismas led all of college basketball with regards to points per game last season. This year, down a little bit, but still giving you 22.7 points per contest on 39% three-point shooting. Phipps and McBride combined to shoot 43% from three. They combined to shoot 82.5% in the free line with about 20.5 points per contest. When you take a look at Oral Roberts, they shoot as a collective about 72.5% at the free line. You do get just enough rebounding on this team. Kareem Thompson, so we'll give you right around 7.5 points, 5.7 rebounds per game. And Elijah Lufiel has been able to do a good job, 8.6 boards. So I do like these guys. Meanwhile, with Western Illinois, they do a relatively solid job on the glass because you do have Tim L. Pearson, so we'll give you 10 points, 6 boards per game. Trenton Masoner, 16.5 points, 6 boards, 4 assists, 2 seals. He just does it all for a Western Illinois team that maybe turned the ball over 11.5 times for contest. It is a team that's got Will Karius along with Luka Bravich, who's been able to combine for about 29 points per contest with carries should 36% from three-point range, so they've been able to do a relatively solid job, but it's not necessarily a deep Western Illinois team. You've got your five guys that give you at least 9.8 points per contest, and then past that, you really don't get a whole heck of a lot else, so I do think that that's going to be a little bit of an issue, Western Illinois, towards back half of the season. You tell that they were cratering a little bit. They lost three out of their last four games. It's an Oral Roberts team that they themselves wound up losing three out of their last four. You wound up seeing some calamities wind up happening out there in overtime. It's an Oral Roberts team that I think is going to be able to do a solid job being able to put the ball in the basket because you are on a neutral court. I think that's going to take a couple minutes for these guys to be able to adjust. So I do mind saying my total as we're
result at a 163. So here we'll we'll take a look at the under. I'll throw our Roberts will lay up to seven with them. Now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. We go in less exhortation order with these as well. This begins with 306-201, 306-202. We head out there to the Big South Final out there at Bojangles Coliseum. Winthrop and Longwood. No numbers up on this game. Both of these teams had to survive in advance in order to get to the spot, but I wound up saying Winthrop as a two-point favorite, and I made my total 144. I do side with our good friend Sean Paul of Making the Madness with Winthrop. I think that DJ Burns is going to be able to do a good job of making the other team feel the burn because he's a guy that he only plays like 21, 22 minutes per contest, but if they will give you 15 points, four and a half boards per contest. I mean, this is a guy that was the number three recruit out there in South Carolina a few years ago. Number one was a guy by the name of Zion Williamson, and number two was Aaron Neesmith. Meanwhile, you take a look at Longwood, and you've got a big three for this team. Isaiah Wilkins, along with Justin Hill, are your main two, and then Deshaun Wade is a very good number three. These guys have been able to combine for about 40 points per contest. Hill and Wilkins combined for 11 rebounds per game. Wade is able to shoot 44% for three. Wilkins shoots 40% from distance as well. Longwood is collective. They shoot 37% for three, 72% at the free line with right around eight steals per contest. Winthrop has had to do a little bit of work on defense. They're outside the top 200 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. We've got a Longwood team that has been a little bit better this year with regards to being able to hold it down on defense. They rank right around 90th with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. But with Winthrop, you've got just more lethal players in general. Drew Bugs is doing a great job of being able to run the point guard spot. Only about six points per contest, but 4.3 assists at 2.2 turnovers per game. Winthrop has been able to cut down on the turnovers recently. They shoot 37.5% per three. 69% free throw shooting is a little bit tough, but Corey Hightower, Patrick Good, they combine for 23 points per contest. They combine to be able to give you a little bit over two seals per game as well. Both shoot over 40% per three. I think that the top end talent of Winthrop is going to be able to win out. A little bit of a revenge spot as well. They only wound up playing once during the regular season. It was Longwood that pulled that game out by kind of 92-88 to 88 in a game in which you wound up having Longwood go 14 of 25 from three-point range and 22 of 23 at the free throw line. I think both teams are going to cool down a little bit more in this spot. Got a Winthrop team that is this year outside the top 100 with regards to possessions per game. So, do mind saying my total at a 144 and with Winthrop made them the two-point favorite. 306-203, 306-204. You've got yourself Lehigh and they're going to be in the road face-off against Colgate out there in the Patriot League tournament. Colgate finding themselves a double-digit favorite here of 13 to 13 half points. Dawn's game is 147. I think that Lehigh is going to get dropped in this game, but I think that we went a little bit too far with this line. I said my line at a 12 and a half. We've got a Lehigh team that down the stretch actually has been able to play some good basketball out there in the Patriot League. And with Lehigh, you've got a guy that I really like in Evan Taylor. He's been able to do a good job of being able to shoot right around 40% from three-point range, 13 and a half points, 5.8 rebounds per contest. You've also been able to have Nick Lynch do a good job with Jamero Wilson. They combined to shoot 45.5% from three. They combined to give you 21 points, right around 9.5 rebounds per game. Lehigh is a whole. They shoot 38.5% from three. They're in the top 20 at all of college basketball with that regard. Don't necessarily have a ton of facilitating with this team. Your main guy with right around 2.3 assists per contest is Keith Higgins Jr., but Keith Higgins Jr. has been able to come along for the ride a little bit more as well. He's been able to give the team four plus assists in three of the team's last five games while committing a combined two turnovers in those five games in total. Meanwhile, you take a look at Colgate, and they are a team that they're starting to fire on all cylinders on offense. They put up 100 earlier in the year against Syracuse. You've got a trio of guys that give you between 12.4 and 14.7 points per contest. Tucker Richardson, Jack Ferguson, Nellie Cummings. These three guys have been able to combine for right in the neighborhood about 13 rebounds per game. Richardson and Cummings combined to give you right around 7 assists per game. I'll give you between 1.1 and 1.3 assists per contest and you combine to shoot 38% per three. Colgate as a whole. Number two team at all of college basketball and three-point shooting percentage at 40%. They're a team that inside, not to see the world's strongest. Keegan records, 10 points, 6.3 rebounds per game. Now, you've got a Lehigh team that they don't necessarily do a great job 
on the glass either end with this Colgate team. Jeff Woodward has been able to do a little bit better recently for this team. Take a look at him, and he's been able to give the team right in the neighborhood about six points, four boards per contest, was expecting him to do maybe a little bit more this season, but he's been able to pick up the pieces, been able to find his role with this team. I do think that Lee is going to be unable to get the job done, and you do have a pair of teams here that rank outside the top two arm with regards to possessions frame, so they're not necessarily playing at warp speed. As a result, I do wind up saying this at 144.5. I'm willing to dive under of Colgate. Do wind up making them a 12.5 point favorite, so we'll take 13 plus here with Lee. 306-205-306-206. You've got yourself Navy, and they're going to be playing us Boston U. Boston U is a 2.5 to a 3-point dog, and your total on this game is 127. Got a Navy team that ranks in the top 10 in all of college basketball. The guards points a lot on a per possession basis. Had a little bit of a tough time with American in their last game, but still, a team has been absolutely dynamic with that regard. And you've got a Boston U team that ranks outside the top 320 with regards to possessions frame, so they play very slow, but with regards points a lot on a per possession basis, right around 180th. But interestingly enough, they've been more efficient on defense on the road rather than at home. This is a Boston U team that you've got Sukmail Mathan, who's been able to give you 10.3 boards, right around 15 points per contest, so he's been able to do a good job there. Javante McCoy has really been the floor general for this team. 17 points, 4 boards, 3 assists, shoots 44% from 3-point range, has really turned it on with at least 23 points in each of the last 3 contests, 19 plus points in 4 out of the last 5, but then John Carter Jr. on the flip side for this Navy team. 13 points, 4 boards, has been able to shoot 37% from 3, a seal per contest for a Navy team as a collective. They only shoot 65% on the free line, 33% from 3-point range. They do turn the ball over 13 times for contest, but it's also a Boston U team that they don't necessarily generate a lot of swipes either, so I think that they are going to be in relatively solid shape there when it comes to this Navy team. Last time they wound up playing against Boston U, you do have to date it back to late January, but Navy was able to do a solid job. They wound up going on the road, got the job done by kind of 72 to 65. That was a game in which you wound up having Boston U wind up shooting about 45% from floor. Things got a little bit more harebrained. I think the Navy is going to do a good job of being able to get a little bit more of their tempo in this game. They're a team that they have allowed 64 points or fewer in all but one of their games ever since the beginning of the month of February. You've also got a Navy team that I think is going to be able to do a relatively solid job with a pair of guys in Tyler Nelson, coupled with Greg Summers, doing a nice job down low, combining for a little bit over nine boards. Both give you eight and a half points per contest. So I do think that Navy and their defensive approach should be able to do just enough to be able to get the job done. Set Navy as a five-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it here. Set my total at 125. So we're taking a look at an under as well. 306, 207, 306, 208. You've got Vermont, and they're going to be playing us at NJIT. NJIT, a 22 and a half to a 23 point underdog. And your total is anywhere between 130 and 132. Because this total, I do end setting it at a 133. Vermont is one of the just slowest teams in all of college fast. Monk, 358 D1 teams. This is a Vermont team that they rank 327th. But top 15 with regards to points scored on a per possession basis. They are going to be going up against an NJIT. IT team that, let's call it what it is, the defense has been lacking a little bit with the team. With regards to points, a lot on a per possession basis. They do rank 229th. I think that we went up a little bit too lofty with this line, though. You do have an NJIT team that they've been able to get a little bit of something out of their backcourt. They've been dealing with a couple of ailments recently, but I do like what Miles Coleman has been able to bring to the table right around 15 points, five boards per contest. This is a line that I personally wound up setting at a 19, so I'm going to be one to take the points with this NJIT team. With NJIT as well, you've been dealing with a couple of injuries when it comes to Holy Cross transfer Matt Fah, and he should be back in the fold in this game. A guy that has been able to give you overall for the year right around 8 points, 5 boards per contest. You take a look at this Vermont team, one of the best 3-point shooting teams in all of college basketball. Ryan Davis, Ben Chungu, they combined to be able to give you 33 points, a little bit over 10 boards, 4 assists, both shoot over 40% per 3. Vermont, they shoot 35.8% per 3, 75% the free line, 10 turnovers per contest. Isaiah Boom Boom Pell, good Swiss Army knife guy. 9 points, 6 half boards, 3 assists. Justin Mazzula, Finn Sullivan, both of these guys give you between 7 to 7.5 points per contest. Both shoot in the mid-30s from 3-point range. So, a highly efficient 
team on offense. And Vermont, it's a team that they've always had their hallmark on playing slow and good defense. And I mean, they still rank in the top 40 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, but I do think that Coleman is going to be able to keep this NJIT team very live. You've been dealing with a little bit of an ailment to Dylan O'Hearn. O'Hearn is a guy that most likely is going to be out the fold for this game, a guy that's been able to give you 12 points per contest, but you will have out there Solomon Diakite, a guy that's been able to give you 5 points, 5 boards, does a relatively solid job down low. So, it's a spot in which I set my spread at 19. I'm going to be willing to take the points, and with NJIT, I think that they're going to be giving up plenty of points. Vermont, a very efficient offensive team, so set my total 133, going over, and willing to take the points. 306-209, UMBC is going to be playing us at UMass Lowell. Lowell is a 2-2.5 two two point underdog with your total on this game, 142. I did wind up saying my total in this spot, more around a 137.5. You've got a UMass Lowell team that they do rank outside the top 200 with regards to possessions per game, and it's a UMass Lowell team that they haven't necessarily been a juggernaut on defense, but at the same time, they've been respectable on defense. With regards to points a lot on a per-possession basis, they rank right around 100. You're going to be going up against a UMBC team that they rank outside the top 200 with that regard, but it's a UMBC team that they don't necessarily do a lot on the glass. You've got one guy in Ya Ombeg Masena, who's been able to give you more than five boards per game with right around five and a half. You do take a look at UMass Lowell. They leave a little bit of something to be desired down low. Max Brooks is a guy that's able to give you right around 10 and a half points, 6.4 boards per game, so be able to do a solid job there. 2.4 blocks per contest. But UMass Lowell, they also shoot 30% from three. They do generate seven and a half seals per game. Alan Blunt, along with Ayimbi Akeem, have been able to combine for about 21.5 points per contest. Akeem has been able to come in from LaSalle, give this team 1.3 steals, 2.7 assists. Been able to do a solid job of being able to flow the ball. You've got Justin Fazian, coupled with Everett Heyman, who both give you between 8.5 and 9.5 points per contest. But I do think that UMBC should be a 5.5 point favorite because you do have Keontae Kennedy, coupled with LJ Owens out there in the backcourt. pair of guys that give you combined 26.5 points per contest. Both shoot over 40% from three-point range. You've been able to have a guy in Darnell Rogers who's been able give you right around 3.8 assists for contest. I do think that he's going to be able to do a solid job for this team, Jacob Bonyaseth. So we will give you 6.5 points, 3 boards per game. So I do think that that is going to be enough for UMBC to be able to get the job done with UMBC. They're able to execute late. They shoot 78.5% of the free line. They only turn the ball over 11 times for contest. I do think that UMBC is going to be slowed down a little bit in this game, but I think that they're going to do the little things to be able to get the job done. Set this out at 137.5. I've been under. I'm willing to lay up to 5.5 here with UMBC. 306 to 11, 306 to 12. New Hampshire is going to be Binghamton. Binghamton is finding themselves as a 6.5 to a 7-point underdog, and your tallest game is anywhere between 129 and 130. So New Hampshire as a 7.5-point favorite. You've got a New Hampshire team that they rank in the bottom 25 with regards to possessions per game. Now, points a lot on a per-possession basis. You've got a New Hampshire team that ranks outside the top 200. Binghamton, they've actually been a little bit more respectable on defense this season. They had no place to go but up because this has been a team that's been terrible, but they rank around 97th with this regard, but I do have my fear that Binghamton is not going to be able to hit shots in this game. You've got John McGriff, couple with Jacob Falco. They combine to be able to give you right around 24 points, 5.7 assists per game. McGriff is able to shoot 35% from three, and as a whole, Binghamton does shoot 35% from long range, but they only shoot 66.5% at the free throw line. Tyler Bertram has been able to give you right around nine points per contest, so he's been able to do a relatively solid job there with McGriff. He's sort of been in and out of the fold since coming back from injury. He's actually been a little bit better in Christian Inkson. He's able to give you six half boards per game. Only guy on the team that gives you more than four rebounds per game, though. You've got a New Hampshire team that should be able to bludgeon them down low. Taylor Matos, so we'll give you 5.3 rebounds per game as a transfer from Bowling Green. You've got Jada Martinez and Nick Gudarama. Both of these guys combined to be able to give you 27.7 points. Both guys give you right around 5.5 boards. Gudarama only shoots about 31% from 3, but Martinez lights it up. 42% from 3. New Hampshire, 9.1 turnovers per game. That's in the top 10 in all of college basketball. Blondo Chunkogo. So we'll give you 11.5 points. Right around 5 boards. Shoots 40% from 3-point range. 75% at the charity strike. The firepower that New Hampshire has in the backcourt, I think is going to be enough to be able to get the job done. New Hampshire, they 
get their slow, grimy style set. My total out of 125.5 as a result. Dive in under. I'm there after one lap to 7.5 with them. We wrap things up with 306-213-306-214. Hartford is going to be playing us Albany. Albany is a 4-5 to five point underdog. Total is anywhere between 132.5 and 134.5. Now it is an Albany team that is a little bit banged up, but it's a Hartford team that they themselves have to deal with a little bit of ailment. I wound up saying Albany is a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them as a money line underdog. Austin Williams has really been the heart and soul of this Hartford team. A guy that has been able to give you right around 16.5 points per contest. Doesn't necessarily shoot it great from three-point range, but he has been missing the last two games for this Hartford team. You know who else has been missing for this team? Moses Flowers who's able to give you 15 points per contest. Now, I think that you at minimum get one of these guys out there, but Hunter Marks is done for the season. He's a guy that shoots 42% for three as a 6 foot nine combo player and that means that you're going to be relying a lot on David Shriver. Shriver has been able to do a solid job as a freshman. He's been able to give you 10.5 points per contest. He's given the team 20 plus in each of the last three contests because quite frankly there's nobody else to be able to put the ball in the basket and it's an Albany team that they're really going to be going out there and they're going to be trying to hang their head on D defense ever since they were able to get that nice win on the road against Boston College. They have been able to turn over a new leaf with regards to Albany on a points allowed on a per possession basis. They rank right around 113th and they give up 3.2 points fewer per 100 on the road rather than at home. So this is a team that they do a solid job there now. They themselves have a deal with an injury to Devondre Perry. He's been out for right around 14 games, transferred in from Temple but Jamal Horton has been able to pick up the slack. Four assists, 13 points. I hear he shoots about 38% from three-point range in true road games. 14 plus points at each other the last four games. Matto Saruti has been able to shoot 45.5% per three. Gives you a seal and a half per contest. 12 points per contest. Albany is a team that they turn the ball for right around 12.5 times per contest. Not too bad there. Justin Neely, right now the team's leader with 4.5 parts per game. That's a little bit unsightly, but it's not like Hartford is necessarily doing a great job on the glass either. This is a Hartford team that, with regards points allowed on a per possession basis, they leave a whole heck of a lot to be desired. 307th, despite the fact that Tracy Carter is back at the fold. I think that things are going to be a little bit more buttoned up. Both of these teams do play at very slow paces outside the top 200 with that regard. So, semi total 130, diving under, and I think that Albany gets a job done against a banged up Hartford team willing to take Albany on the money line. And that'll wrap things up for the Sunday edition of Coast to Coast Soups, now part of the VEASAN family podcast. Big thanks to Sean Paul of the Making the Madness podcast and Field of 68 for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you for this podcast, you've got one or two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at your score one. Keep in mind, letters EM. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline, and the other way is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. We're going to be coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, and that means I'm coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.